Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Thirty-two degrees. It was thirty-two degrees when I woke up this morning. This is supposed to be Florida. I didn't move here for thirty-two degrees. Well, that's what happens when you live in the Panhandle. You're up in the uh, or we're up uh, on the, the top uh, left corner, uh, way out there in the western part of the of, of Florida, uh, just under Alabama, and it gets cold. You know, we get you know from Alaska through the Midwest all the way down south to to Florida. It's it's. Uh, I should have checked for frost this morning, but it was too cold. I didn't want to go out and check for frost, but I'm sure there was frost out there. It's thirty-five degrees now. So it's it's pretty good. And for the rest of the world, that's that's on Celsius. Uh, that's nice. <laughs> okay, so 32 is zero. So it was it was zero. Uh, Celsius is a weird scale. It's not as impressive. Uh, it's Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit, you know, you get 100 degrees. You know, that's hot, right? But but, but Celsius, you know, I think 100 degrees is like 33. <laughs> it doesn't sound as big. And zero is actually 32. It's based on water. So the Celsius scale, uh, which used to be called centigrade because uh, it was 100, uh, but a Celsius used to is is based on, on the temperature of water. And so 100 degrees Celsius is 212 degrees Fahrenheit. I have no idea what Fahrenheit's based on except Fahrenheit himself uh, who came up with this, this crazy scale. But uh, 32 degrees is where water freezes Fahrenheit. Uh, zero is where it freezes in, in Celsius. 100 is where it boils in Celsius and 212 is where it boils in Fahrenheit. Uh, I don't know what below. Then you get Kelvin, which is, you know, 273 degrees below zero. That's like absolute zero. So we have another zero. It gets very complicated, and I have no idea why I'm talking about this. I, I did not intend to start a, a temperature discussion, except for the fact that it's cold out there. Uh, it's so different doing the winter shows than the uh, the summer shows, um, just because you know I'm not used to the the, the, the cooler weather. It's uh, you're either blowing heat in or or the heat's coming in anyway because <laughs> it's Florida. Um, there's a lot going on, and this is uh, we're starting an hour late today. Usually, uh, the reason I do that on, on Monday. Uh, is uh, and I do very reports. You know, Fridays we start a little earlier, and Mondays we start a little later, and that's because of the reporters. And to me, it's more important to get the reporters on and, and hear their story than it is to uh, to start at exactly at the same time. Although I'd like to be consistent, I'm working on it. I'm trying to do that. I like starting at 7 a.m. and then going to 10 a.m. and that's Central Time. So uh, and it's an hour later Eastern and an hour earlier Mountain and two hours earlier Pacific Time. And the rest of the world, well, that's what you have cell phones for, <laughs> to look at your world clock and figure out when exactly we're on. And so many, many, many things are happening. Um, the title of the show today, Economic Rape of Citizens Through a Suicide Spending Congress. That's, you know, that's dramatic language, but that's pretty much what's going on. And I have a report that I'm going to play in the third hour. It's a repeat of an interview I did with Mark Thornton. This is part two um, of a series I did uh, with him. It was, they're about a month apart. And so this one's going to concern central bankers, inflation, the Fed, uh, the Davos conference, um, why inflation sucks our, the money out of us, why uh, you know, they, they want inflation and why we don't. <laughs> you know. And so the, it, it was a really interesting report, and it'll put a lot of things in perspective. And so, again, I'm going to probably – well, I, actually, I will. I'll be sending these – both these interviews to Mark Thornton. He's still at the Mises Institute. Uh, I believe that's Auburn University, and we're going to get him back. I always speak in the third person, we, but me. I'm going to get him back. Uh, and so that's the idea is to get Mark Thornton back on the show because he is just fabulous. He explains things amazingly well. And, uh, you know, it, it's, we're kind of in a recovery here. So the first blow was, was uh, from WBY. 
uh, and then kind of starting up a blog talk radio and then blog talk radio, blog talk radio got going and then we had COVID and now we're kind of recovering uh, from, from the government COVID censorship. I mean, the, the show's growing, but it's, it's taking a while. And so it's really up to you to share the show. So share, 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 share with everybody you know. Have them share with everybody they know because it's the only way we're going to get through the censorship. You know, and there's this stuff here to talk about that nobody else does. And so that's why you want to do that, particularly bills. And, and the bill secure the economic rape of citizens through a suicide spending Congress uh, is a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Once that's done, all the other things that you want, the balanced budget, the, the budget cuts, the cuts in spending, the, you know, the fiscal discipline, all the things that you want, getting rid of inflation, you know, increasing the value of your savings, increasing the economy, transferring money back from the, the Fed. Um, and I just found out that the Fed has a ton of their own investments. Well, I probably knew that, but I was reminded that the Fed, the, the, the people that regulate um, interest rates, the money supply, things like that, uh, they have their own investments. So they regulate it for their own benefit because, after all, it's a private bank controlling our money. So another thing we have to do is get, uh, is get rid of the, the Fed, uh, go back to the Treasury, you know, handling the money, uh, and go back to a gold standard or some standard. Of, of consistent wealth so that the, the, the monetary supply of the money, the amount of dollars in circulation remain constant so that as wealth increases, you know, we all make more money because our dollar increases. So if you keep the dollars constant and you increase the, the size pie, right? So you get to each dollar becomes, you know, proportional, even though there aren't more dollars out there. It's like, uh, it's like going from a large to an extra large pizza with, with eight slices in it, okay? So the slices don't change. The, the number of slices doesn't change, but the actual slices get bigger because the pie is bigger. Well, that, that's what happens when you create wealth and keep the money supply uh, at a consistent level. So we're going to talk economics. I know it's dry and dull and boring for a lot of people, but I'm, I'm going to try and make it more interesting. And I think this, this last interview is going to be really good. We've got uh, Dorothy Diana is going to join us for the Sex and Sensuality Report. Uh, that'll be at the top of the next hour. Jonathan's off this hour. And I think a lot of people are going to be off just because it's the week before Christmas. I have no guest schedule. That, that's because it's the week before Christmas. I have no idea what I'm going to do because it's the week before Christmas. Um, so I'll work on that. Our anniversary is Saturday. Uh, Christmas Eve was my first show back in, in 2018. And then the year after that, I got COVID <laughs> for briefly in 2019. Uh, and so our first anniversary, uh, uh, we had that. And then uh, ended going into 2020, uh, we've, it has <laughs> been kind of a mess ever since. Um, but that's what's going on now. So our anniversary show, I don't think anybody, I won't even be here. It's Saturday. So I'm not going to do a Saturday show. Uh, especially the Christmas Eve and uh, the Friday show. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see who's here. Derek's off. Uh, I imagine uh, Shirley will be off too, unless she wants to uh, call in and talk guns. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, and well, just it may be a free for all. We'll see who's available. Who wants to chat? It might be a very short show on Friday. So that's where we are. All right. So economic rape of the citizens. So why do I say economic rape? Because and I know that's dramatic. Not to make fun or cast dispersions or another or another to reduce in any way the crime of rape. But that's what's going on to, to us from the Congress, you know, and, uh, and the, our economy is being, is being uh, assaulted. Our economy is being stolen. Our economy is being raped by this budget, by this, this $1.7 now trillion of spending on top of all the other spending. There's already almost $6 trillion of COVID spending already. Well, this is just more pork. Uh, these people are under some weird delusion that they can keep borrowing money and the economy won't collapse. Well, I've got a few articles that will describe what happens if the economy does collapse. It's not pretty. You know, it's pretty scary stuff. Uh, and since they have no idea when the economy is going to collapse, the idea that they're still borrowing money uh, is irrational. Only an insane person would keep borrowing money knowing that the economy can collapse, not knowing when it co could collapse, but knowing that at some point it will collapse if they keep borrowing money. That's insane. That's irrational. Our Congress is irrational. 
and needs to be replaced with people with a brain. And since uh, that never seems to happen, uh, that's why I chose the Faction Radio to change the laws. The single most important bill I'm coming up to the conclusion uh, is our constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. Okay, let me say that again. A constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. So let's do that. Let's start with the solution, and then I'll give you the problem. <laughs> you pretty much know the problem, but uh, this will put it in, uh, in, in starker terms. So this is one that I wrote uh, May 21st of this year. So it's been around for a little bit. Constitutional Amendment, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution shall be amended by striking Clause 2 to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Section 8, Clause 1 shall be amended by adding at the end, and Congress shall have no power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, nor to print money to cover expenses greater than revenues. This amendment shall take effect immediately upon ratification. So the day this is ratified, if it works, the day this is ratified, Congress can't borrow any more money. What's going to happen? Well, they're going to have to cut spending because they can't borrow money. So they can't keep the government going uh, unless they cut spending because they can't borrow money. All right. So they can't borrow their way out of this one. The credit card, the, the ceiling's been reached. The debt ceiling has been reached. It's over. Uh, they are going to have to cut spending or shut down the government. Those are their only two options. If they want to keep the government going and we take away their power to borrow money, the only way they can keep the government going is to cut spending. You know, what the revenues are. That's it. Well, then what happens? Well, the, the debt on the, on the previous national, the debt on the previous, uh, the previous debt comes due still. All right. So the bonds that were floated, which created the inflation uh, and the printing of the money to pay for those bonds, those bonds will still come due, but, uh, but they can't be rolled over. They're going to have to be paid because the government can't borrow money. <laughs> you can't borrow money to pay its previous debt. That's the definition of bankruptcy, isn't it? When you borrow money to pay your debt. <laughs> okay. So that's where we are. So if, if that's the situation, right, that they can't, uh, they can't borrow money uh, and they want to keep the government going, they're going to have to cut spending to what revenues are. Well, there's your balanced budget. Okay, uh, there's the end of deficit spending. Um, because they're not borrowing, uh, the money supply can remain constant. Well, there's no need for a Fed then. You know, turn over, turn over the Federal Reserve funds, uh, all their investment funds, their private banking funds, turn those over to the Treasury. That's where they belong anyway. Treasury is supposed to have the money, not the Federal Reserve, private banking, you know, cartel. So the next thing that happens if we stop Congress from borrowing money, uh, the money supply remains constant. And as I explained before, when the money is constant, uh, with more people, I mean, legal people, not the folks coming in now, uh, you know, with more people in the country, with more work being done, with more producti- productivity per worker, uh, the, the wealth of the country increases. But with the money supply staying the same, the dollar becomes worth more. Well, is that going to make exports uh, more expensive? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but our domestic economy should be so good, you know, that I don't think anybody, uh, uh, well, we'll see what happens. People say, oh, you can't do that. We can't sell anything. Our exports are too expensive. We have to lower our dollar. No, we don't. You know, I want the dollar to increase in value. That's called deflation. Deflation is wonderful, as agreed to by David Stockman when he was on the show recently. There's nothing wrong with deflation. Deflation is what will save you, and deflation is what you're going to get. In other words, the reduction in prices because the money supply is remaining constant. Deflation will lower prices. And if anybody's against lower prices, uh, you've got to be a wacko, or you're, you make money off higher prices. Um, you know, I'm talking higher prices of, of like interest inflation, things like that. Anyway, so, so that's the bill. That's it. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution shall be amended by striking Clause 2 to borrow money on the credit of the United States. That essentially is it. (laughs) Section 8, Clause 1 shall be amended by adding at the end, and Congress shall have no power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, nor to print money to cover expenses greater than revenues. Okay, so why do I put that in? 
Well, it's pretty simple. Um, Congress, knowing Congress, will find a place that they can borrow money, probably in the Commerce Clause. They'll find it somewhere. All right. So unless you expressly prohibit it, they're going to find it somehow. Well, we've always borrowed money. Supreme Court didn't rule it unconstitutional. We're going to keep borrowing money, even though the Constitution, even though that that to borrow money on the credit of the United States has been uh, stricken from the Constitution because you know the Commerce Clause says that we can uh, engage in interstate commerce and borrowing is interstate commerce. Therefore, we can still borrow money. So they would do that. All right. And then we'd be in court for years, and, and we'd be in, in trillions of dollars more debt um, by the time it got wrestled out. And, and I don't trust the Supreme Court. So you make it very simple. You take away, you make it express in the Constitution, Congress shall have no power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, nor to print money to cover expenses greater than revenues. Well, what's that there for? Well, that means they can't print money either. <laughs> okay. So not only do we take away their power to borrow money, we take away their power to print money uh, greater than revenues. So unless they have the money in the Treasury, you know, the, the physically coming in, uh, they can't print more money to, to cover it. So the only money they can print is basically the replacement uh, of the money that's already out there. Uh, and so they cannot print money to, to uh, you know, quantitatively ease or anything like that. So money printing would be restricted to uh, expenses, what, uh, the amount of money that, that, that's already in the economy. And that will hold the money supply constant. Now, I'd love to run this by some economists. I mean, Stephen Moore, if I can get him to call in, that'd be great. Uh, he's welcome to... Uh, I want to run this by a few economists. In fact, I'm going to send this to Mark Thornton, whose interview I'm going to replay uh, later on in this hour. But that's where we stand. All right, that's the good news. <laughs> the good news is we can fix this, right? and that's how you fix it. So you need to go to writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Go to writeyourlaws.com. <clears throat> Click on uh, legislation. It's the second item on the menu bar. Click on all proposed laws. And I believe the first one of all proposed laws, it's, it's the third item down, uh, is our constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. You can do it, but you have to do it. Okay, nothing happens until you share that bill. And I'm talking millions of you have to share that bill. This is going to be probably the biggest fight that we'll ever take on, is taking away the power of Congress to borrow money. Because there's too many people with a vested interest in, in the United States going broke. Well, they don't say it that way, but that's, that's effectively what's happening. All right, first story. D.C. download. Congress moves towards passing omnibus, which means all-encompassing, spending bill before Christmas. Gee, that would be this week when I have no guests, when nobody's around, when everybody's thinking of Christmas. What a sneaky time to destroy the country. Isn't that nice? That's what they're doing. All right. So a new source here. This is Gabby Bierenbaum, who I'll probably try and get on the show. B-I-R-E-N-B-A-U-M. And she's from the Nevada Independent. So we're, we're, uh, I'm, I'm changing sources. I don't use a lot of the, the mainstream sources because I find the smaller sources a lot more reliable, useful, and these people are actually reporting. So the last update, December 17th, so two days ago at 2 a.m. <laughs> it's interesting. All right. So she says, uh, good morning and welcome to the Indie DC Download Newsletter, a weekly look at what's going on in the nation's capital as it relates to Nevada. I'm Gabby Birenbaum, B-I-R-E-N-B-A-U-M, the Indie's new DC correspondent and DC Download author. So she's going to cover it for Nevada, but she's also covering it for the rest of us. So she says, this week, it's all about the Omni. Congressional negotiators reached a top-line number for a must-pass, shit, right, <laughs> whose opinion is that, omnibus spending bill to keep the federal government operating and successfully extend their deadline to December 23rd, avoiding a weekend shutdown. Okay, so they did that. They, they passed, a, they passed a, a budget for a week. <laughs> they went to all the trouble to take a vote to pass a budget for a week. That's insane. As much as the government costs, it probably costs you know multiple, multiple billions of dollars to keep the government going just for a week. So it's not a must-pass spending bill. They could cut spending. Okay, they never think of that option. They always say we have to increase the debt to keep the government operating. No, you don't. You can cut spending and keep the government operating. 
Okay, as I told you before, with with a constitutional amendment taking away the power of Congress to borrow money, they all have to cut spending. Okay, so these people are like uh, obsessive uh, drug abusers, gamblers, alcoholics. You know, anybody uh, power hungry, mad. You know, dictators. Uh, they're they're obsessed. Congress is obsessed with borrowing money. They are so dependent on it, and so are all the special interests, and so are all their little welfare people, their corporate welfare, their private welfare, their, their international welfare, their money laundering bank in the Ukraine. They are all dependent on borrowed money. Okay, Guess who gets screwed? We do, because we're the ones paying the interest on the government's borrowing money so they can perpetuate their power through the deep state. And that's how it works. Okay, So the idea of introducing, even just if you can just get this into the news, you know, talk to your talk shows. You know, you folks that call up other talk shows, you know, I don't have time. I got my own. <laughs> but you guys call up other talk shows. I don't mind you talking to other talk shows about our bills. In fact, I'm hoping for it. I'm hoping to recruit other talk show hosts to join us and teach them how to become action hosts. All right. Now, it started here. I mean, I'm the original. But from here, we need every other talk show host talking about this. Oh, that's a Lori, actually, uh, who does uh, the Libertarian Hour on, on Blog Talk Radio on Sunday. Hey, Lori, can you talk about this bill? <laughs> you know, and you don't need me to talk about it. Just read it. It's pretty simple. Okay. See, the beauty of our bills is that you don't need me. One, once the bill is written and it's online, or, or whoever writes it, you know, we can get the authors on, but you don't need us specifically because the bills are self-explanatory. So you look at the bill, read the bill, see exactly what it says, copy the link, send it to friends, family, media, uh, on Congress, or state legislators, or, or uh, local government as appropriate. That's all you need to do. Just copy the link and send it out. You know, the more places you send it, the more people, the more uh, media, and the more uh, members of Congress, the better we are. Get this into the news. Now, I'm hoping this will be a major story for the 2024 campaign and that the Trump administration will take it up for their campaign. The Trump 2024 should take up this bill. In fact, I'll post it on Facebook after the show. Uh, and I have a uh, – it's public. It's a Trump 2024. It's an Action Radio Trump 2024 campaign uh, group. I'm not, I'm not looking for stories on Trump. They're already out there. I'm not looking to be another news service. I, I don't just copy and paste other stories. The stories that go in, in, into Action Radio's various groups, our economics project, our international news group, they all serve a purpose. You know, they're all part of a report somehow, some way. That's why they go in there. So that is critical, critical um, that, you, uh, that you share the stories. Share the stories from our different groups, but share, this, share our constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. That really is critical. Okay, so let's get back to the article here. So she says it's, 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 it's critical when it's not. The only thing that, that what's really critical for Congress is to not pass the spending bill, is to cut spending and live within the revenue. That's what's critical, but they're not going to do that. So we have to, they're like, like serial killers. They don't stop until they're caught. Well, Congress, you know, I'm not saying they're serial killers, but they're not going to stop until they're caught. <laughs> they're not going to stop spending until we force it. And the way you do that is with sharing the bill, uh, getting into the media, uh, polling, getting into the pollsters, uh, and uh, telling the, the members of Congress you're not going to reelect them if they don't pass a constitutional amendment uh, to take away their power to borrow money and then send it to the states. Or plan B is that the states, and not through a convention. I am scared to death of a convention. Once the convention starts, your constitution's up for grabs. But a, uh, a state, one state will initiate it. And then hopefully other states will, will ratify it uh, in a resolution. And if enough states ratify it in a resolution to make them ratify it you know, for real in law, then Congress hopefully will take it up. And if Congress doesn't take it up, then hopefully the states will start uh, pushing the federal government to take it up through withholding income, withholding tax, withholding uh, services by removing federal uh, bureaucrats uh, from the states. 
uh, and take a, a series of retaliatory actions until Congress does ratify it, send it to the states, and the states will ratify it, and then it becomes part of the Constitution, and then the Congress has to stop borrowing money. That's the better way to do it. So from the states to the Congress, back to the states. I know that's roundabout, but I don't want to go to the convention route because I think once the Constitution gets in a convention, not only will this amendment be thrown out, but a whole bunch of other things will be thrown in. Okay? And the people say, well, we can limit it. No, you can't. <laughs> once that gavel comes down on a, on a constitutional convention, there are no rules. And that's what I'm scared of. All right. So then so let's just get this. Uh, she says, uh, avoiding weekend shutdown. She says, the Senate also passed the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA or the ND or the NDA. House Minority Leader Kevin uh, McDeepstate. Uh, that's what I'm calling McCarthy now, Kevin McDeepstate. Okay, that's who he is. Kevin McDeepstate. Got it? So you guys can use that too. Kevin McDeepstate, Republican of California, in name only, a transgender Democrat. That's not in the article. I just said that. Is dealing with this is this, this part is in the article. Kevin McDeepstate, my word, is dealing with potential mutinies in the caucus as he mounts a speaker bid. And water, water resiliency was a big topic at the Senate Energy and Natural uh, Resources Committee hearing. Okay, so this is where Devin Nunez was so critical. Devin Nunez is from Fresno. Fresno is a farm area of California, uh, and, and they are dependent on irrigation water. Well, the irrigation water comes from the Sacramento River and the San Joaquin River, uh, which comes from the snowpack, which feeds in, and that's where the irrigation water is taken from. But uh, the, the environmental wacko said you can't take uh, water from the Sacramento River because it will affect the snail darter which is, I believe, a, a, an invasive species anyway, and it's being eat, eaten by a whole bunch of other invasive species. And so there's no reason to save the snail darter. Either put a filter on the, on the pumps, okay, and screen out the snail darter, or, or move the pumps to a place where the snail darter isn't, if you have to. But the farmers need the water. You know, the farmers need the water more than we need the snail darter, you know, especially when it's an invasive species that lives somewhere else. So they need the water, but they're not doing that. Okay, so that's another thing we have to pressure them into is, uh, is that the government, uh, the federal government should be out of California water. They just should. Not that California would push it either because they're a bunch of wacko environmentalists and they'd rather see people die than fed. You know, they'd rather see the snail darter than a bunch of people, you know, grow food, <laughs> even though California grows food for, for much of the world. Kind of staggering, even with all the restrictions. Back to the bill. Congress readies for omnibus spending bill. Both chambers of Congress passed a one-week continuing resolution. I just went over that. Extending the deadline for a must-pass. I'm going to stop saying that word must-pass. Extending the deadline for a budget-breaking, uh, deficit-debt-breaking omnibus spending bill when multiple appropriations bills are packaged as one uh, to December 23rd. Okay. Let's talk for a minute about how Congress is supposed to budget. <laughs> okay. The way they are supposed to budget is uh, they take about a year to prepare the federal budget. During the course of that year, the Appropriations Committee in the House, and I think the Senate Finance Committee, uh, prepare appropriations bills. Now, it starts in the House because the Constitution says all money bills, all revenue bills start in the House. So anything that involves money has to originate in the House. So the House, through the, the, the Appropriations and Budget Committee, uh, I think ways and means too. I'm not sure exactly, but we might go through a few of them. But the House will pass an appropriation, and there are 12 of them. So they hold hearings, they, get, they bring in the, the various um, agencies and departments under whatever the appropriation is they're considering of the 12. They, they take testimony, they evaluate, uh, and they, the, Congress, the, the committee reports to the House as a whole, and then they make a recommendation. Well, the committee makes a recommendation, and the House either passes it or not, but they pass an appropriations bill, which goes to the Senate. That's the way it's supposed to work. But 
when the Democrats are in charge, <laughs> they don't do that. They don't do appropriations bills. In fact, they do continuing resolutions, which is passing the previous budget, which totally sucked. So they perpetuate what totally sucked. And they're putting all 12 appropriations bills into one omnibus. That's what um, omni is all directional, right? Omnibus means I guess all inclusive. Spending bill. So they're putting 12 appropriations bills without hearings, without testimony, without evidence, without grilling the, the actual agencies and departments themselves. They're making up a figure $1.7 trillion higher than uh, the previous figure for last year. <laughs> and they're going to try and pass that by December 23rd, which is four days away. Because that's Friday. That's the Friday before Christmas. Now, does this make sense to anybody? doesn't make sense to me. So the two bills that we have, we have a constitutional um, amendment that takes away the power of government to borrow money. And the second thing we have, which I think is, is equally, uh, well, not equally important, but it's, it's, it's another great bill, is a 30-day comp period. So what that bill does is that requires that before Congress can pass any budget bill over $100 million, there's a bill of threshold. They pass some pretty expensive stuff. Uh, that bill has to go to the public for a 30-day comment. What that does is that discloses everything that's in it. So before, and this is something that Congress will have to take up. You know, in other words, we're going to have to pressure them into doing it. So if Congress takes that bill, um, then uh, then they'll have a 30-day comment period. Uh, the press will see what's in it. We'll see what's in it. And the members of Congress will actually see what's in the bill that they're passing. And that's, that's the primary idea is to have Congress see what we're passing. So they don't have an excuse saying we didn't know because you have a 30-day comment period. To read it. <laughs> okay, that's another story. Get back to it. It says both chambers of Congress passed a one-week continuing resolution, yada, yada, yada. Okay, back to the article. Members of Congress now have an extra week to put a spending package together. They should have taken all year, right? The bill will originate in the Senate. Well, that's where the House, where the Appropriations Chair, Patrick Leahy, Democrat of Vermont, and Ranking Member Richard Shelby, Republican of Alabama, have already agreed to a top-line number, in other words, the most money they could possibly spend, with House Appropriations Chair, Representative Rosa DeLaro, Democrat of Connecticut. Well, as I understand it, Patrick Leahy and Richard Shelby are retiring. So you've got two retiring senators speaking for the entire Senate, and they're both on the way out, so they won't have any of the consequences of what they're doing. Well, that's, no. <laughs> that's another article says Republicans, the majority of whom voted against the one-week resolution, are planning to vote against the bill. See, I'm surprised this bill can go to the uh, Senate first. I think it, I thought it had to go to the, the House. Maybe when they say revenue, they mean taxing bills. Maybe taxing bills have to resign at the House. I've got to clarify on that. Anyway, the, bill, the article says, with Democrats in narrow control of the chamber until January 3rd, when new members get sworn in and the new Republican majority gets cemented, the bill can pass without their support. So in other words, the House is already uh, going to be in Republican hands. The, the Democrats want to pass a major bill to make sure that the House doesn't have a chance to, to uh, vote on it. They want to vote on it with the previous Congress, named Duck Congress. They don't want to have a new Congress. That's the problem, too. Now, what can the new Congress do with that? Well, as soon as they get in office on uh, January 3rd, they can immediately cut back on that bill and cancel the spend. And they can say, okay, we're not spending on this, 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 this. Balance the budget with revenues, and we're going to send that to the Senate. Of course, the Senate won't pass it because the Democrats and the and the, uh, the people complain, oh, no, the poor are going to suffer. Grandma's got thrown out of the bus and whatever, the, whatever, the, the, whatever the metaphor du jour is. That's what's going to happen. But uh, I believe the Republicans will do that because they're geldings. They're being led by uh, Kevin McDeepstate. And Kevin McDeepstate, anything against the deep state, he's not going to, he's going to let it go through and he's going to say, oh, the previous Congress passed it. We don't have any control. We can't do anything. It's like John Malkovich in that, that, uh, that film. I forgot what it was. Where he says, I have no control. I couldn't help myself. You know, some romantic, you know, sword fighting, chivalry, something or other. I forgot what dangerous liaison. There we go. It's a chick film, but I watched it years ago. 
Um, anyway, so, uh, but that's, that's, I had no control. It was beyond my control. I couldn't help myself. Yeah, that's kind of wimpy and weak there, Kevin McDeepstate. <laughs> Hope that catches on, Kevin McDeepstate. I'll, I'll tell Matt Gates, my congressperson, about that and see what he's, I think I actually did. Uh, we'll see. I'm trying to get back on the show. Uh, maybe before January 3rd. We'll see what happens. It says, the article says, while details of the bill are not expected until Monday, the top line spending figure is about $1.7 trillion. That's on top of <laughs> you know, the, 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 the $5 trillion that they have in revenue. Okay, so this is pretty uh, scary. All right, I'm not going to read more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, I'm going to play a couple things right now, and then I'm going to give you the bad news. <laughs> I have a couple of articles on what happens when the economy collapses. And that should make your day. That'll brighten things up, and then we'll talk about sex and sensuality. Uh, that, should, that should be pretty funny. Um, all right, so let's, uh, let's, let's get going here. Maybe I can play a little musical interlude just to kind of wake you up. What's, uh, what, have I, uh, what have I got here that's, that's really um, kind of fun? So we'll start Monday uh, with, with this. No, that's too slow. Let me do Beethoven's fifth. Ah, Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them 
at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Dangerously cool. Yeah, push the wrong button there for a minute. The, the 18 12 Overture is my Friday uh, uh, musical theme. And I think I kind of like starting Monday with, uh, with Beethoven's Fifth. So that, that's kind of cool. Anyway, just little snippets uh, of the song. So uh, maybe that'll rekindle your, your interest in classical music. A couple of notes. We've got the live chat working. So if anybody wants to type me a message, especially if you're international uh, and either don't want to or can't call in uh, because it's the wrong time zone um, for right now. Anyway, so go to live. Well, actually, no, live chat. You can always type into live chat, uh, so that works out, too. And, of course, we have a Skype line, too. So anybody wants to broadcast uh, or talk to us through our Skype line, that works as well. And so what you can do is uh, look down the page, look down the broadcast page. You'll see the live Skype line. You, you check into that. And then uh, once I approve your account, you can call into the show from anywhere in the world. That works as well. Got a couple of things to help us out here. Uh, we're on a huge fundraising drive at Action Radio so that I can increase the, the impact uh, of the show here. And so give, send, go dot com slash action radio give send go dot com slash action radio will help us out if you want to sponsor the show i can create a commercial for you like the ones that i excuse me uh, like the ones that uh, i just played for you and uh, other things here and you can just um what's start again greg (laughs) anyway so to uh for those that's going to be paypal.com slash paypal me slash action radio so paypal.com slash paypal me Slash Action Radio uh, will be for our, our, our sponsors, but you can also contribute there as well. All right, so let's get back to the coming collapse of the economy, uh, which is no laughing matter, but, you know, I, otherwise I'll get depressed if I start, you know, worrying about it you know, all the time. All right, so we got that, I got that. Ah, here we go. Let's start with this one. So this is from Nation of Change. Again, I do try to find the most interesting sources for you. It says, closing our staggering wealth gap is crucial to the survival of both our economy and our democracy. And this is by Robert Reich. Now, it's, it's interesting. This is a liberal article. This is a very liberal article talking about the, uh, um, the, the wage gap. But what's interesting about this is that uh, Mark Thornton, who's very conservative, and the Mises Institute talked exactly the same thing. He mentions that in the interview I'm going to play for you in the third hour. And so uh, when anybody says talking about democracy, I, I know it's a leftist because we're a republic. And, and democracy is one of the greatest threats to a republic because it, it, it takes away all your guarantees of, of your individual rights, all your due process. It takes away everything and subjects it to the whim of the, most, uh, of the richest and most powerful people to uh, have you vote away your rights in exchange for free stuff. And that's why democracies are so dangerous. Robert Reich is one of the most liberal people out there, um, but he makes an interesting point that's actually shared by conservatives, which is why I want to bring this up. So he said, and this is from, let me get you a little time on this, October 11th, 2021. So fairly recently, he says, skyrocketing wealth inequality isn't just wrong. It's also weakening our economy. 70% of the U.S. economy depends on consumer spending. So American consumers need to spend enough money to buy most of the goods and services Americans are capable of producing. Yeah, this is very true. And this is something that Henry Ford recognized. He says, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be able to sell you know, Model T Fords to the American public, the American public has to be able to afford to buy them. So he had some of the highest wages uh, in all of industry. And of course, his, his fellow robber barons and all the, the other the elites out there said, you're paying your workers too much. And he said, well, how do you expect them to buy things if you don't pay them? 
And so as the, the wage gap, as the, uh, the amount of income that Americans are earning uh, proportionally has steadily declined, and as we have a concentration towards the wealthiest people, uh, that's by design through the Fed, through interest rates, uh, through government policy. It's, it's designed to take your money away. That's what inflation is. Inflation is designed to take your money and give it to the wealthiest people, uh, including the Fed, so they can buy the, the, the big investments. And, uh, and that's, not, that's not socialist. Uh, I mean, that's not, that's not, I'm not being any capitalist here. I'm, that is actually socialist. Socialism is taking your money and giving it to uh, a select group. So in other words, you don't keep the profits of your money. You don't keep the fruits of your labors. You don't, uh, inflation steals your productivity, steals your wealth, steals your capital, steals everything. So if you want to have a capitalist system, a free market system, you have to stop the government from using inflation to take your money away. Okay. So Robert Reich is absolutely right. The, 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 the inequality of, inc- of, uh, of uh, the way the money works, and then not because of, of people work harder or less or, or you know, get more education. That's not what we're talking about. That's what he would talk about. He would say you have to transfer wealth because, you know, certain people are, are, are better off than others, you know, probably white privilege, things like that. That's not what we're talking about. But in strictly economic terms, he's absolutely right that the difference, in the way the money works uh, of a system rigged to, to take money from working people, from consumers, which is most people, all right, and give it to the very few elites at the top is incredibly dangerous and stupid and could collapse the economy. You know, and this is what this borrowing is. This is what I'm so concerned with the national debt. So he says, so American consumers, this is back to the article, need to spend enough money to buy most of the goods and services Americans are capable of producing. So if we don't produce the goods, who's going to buy them if we don't have the money? And this is why an increasing dollar is not a problem. If the value of the dollar increases, I don't care about the exports, but it means more Americans can buy the goods that more Americans are producing. That's a good thing. Okay? So it makes it a much stronger internal economy. And if people want to sell here, well, they may have to lower the prices of their imports uh, to us. And I'm not exactly sure how it works. I probably should stay away from that. But the point is that uh, an increasing dollar is good for Americans, even if it's not uh, good for the, the richest people that are making money from working Americans. That's the problem. He says this means that over the long term, their incomes need to keep pace with their productivity. That's an interesting thought, that the incomes of Americans need to keep pace with our productivity. He says, but their incomes haven't. Over the last 40 years, most people's wages have basically stagnated while worker productivity has soared. So in other words, we're producing more. We are more valuable to the corporations that hire us, you know, we the people. But we're not being compensated for that increase in productivity. See, that's the problem. So who's getting it? Well, the largest corporations and, and uh, folks that are, that are keeping it for themselves rather than putting it necessarily uh, – I mean, uh, the, the good companies are putting it into the economy. And there's nothing wrong with profit. I'm not saying profit is a bad thing. But what I'm saying is it, that, that workers should be compensated for the increase uh, in productivity that they're generating. Okay. Now, workers still, you know, earn less than they earn for the company or the company couldn't hire them. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But uh, <clears throat> it's an interesting discussion, I think. Sorry, I think I have a little cold this morning. That's because it's friggin' freezing out there. All right. He says, where did the economic gains go? Mostly to the top. The wealthy now own more of the economy than at any time since the 1920s. Well, you know what happened after the 1920s. The Roaring Twenties were great, but you had a depression in the 1930s, which gave rise, I think, a major reason for World War II. They say that uh, World War II got us out of the depression. I, I think the, the uh, 1930s really caused World War II, but that's another story. Anyway, he says, where did the economic gains go? Mostly at the top. And that is true. Most people realize, you know, whether you're a free market person or, or a socialist or a communist, uh, you realize that uh, the, the top earners have earned a ridiculous amount of money at the expense of workers. I have nothing against the top earners earning money as long as it's not at the expense of everybody else. See, that's the problem. All right, so what we need is a real free market so they don't earn the money. 
See, if we had a real free market, then workers would make more money when they're more productive. That's what a free market would do. So this is actually anti-free market. This is socialistic to reward the top and leave the, the working people uh, with less money than the, the value of their, of their productivity. Okay, does that make sense? Give me a call, 215-383-3832. Try the, uh, the live chat or something like that. I'll check live chat at the end of this article. So he also says, here's the economic problem. The wealthy spend only a small percent of their income and wealth. Their spending is not enough to fulfill the consumer demand that keeps the economy churning. Yeah, it's called the velocity of money. The more people that spend, the more money, the healthier the economy. Because that dollar is producing more because it's being exchanged. It's being spent more times. The more times a dollar is spent, and it only makes sense, right? The more times a dollar is spent, the, the, the greater the economy. The, the, the more is being done with it, the more productive is that dollar. So if you take a dollar and put it in your mattress and leave it there, it's going to lose money. But if you take that dollar and buy something from the baker and the baker buys something from the, you know, from the shoemaker and the shoemaker buys something, you know, does something else with it, you know, buy some ice cream. And then the ice cream person, you know, buys milk from the farm and the farmer buys wheat, you know, buys, you know, fertilizer. And the fertilizer, you know, is bought from the oil company. Well, at least we think so <laughs> uh, for now. And then the oil company buys, you know, steel from the steel company to build oil rigs. And the steel company, you know, buys food for their employees. I mean, it's just, it's just an endless thing. So the more dollar moves, the better the economy. All right. So he says low-income people, on the other hand, spend almost everything they have, uh, which is becoming very little. Most workers aren't earning nearly enough to buy what the economy is capable of producing. That's an interesting line. Most workers aren't earning nearly enough to buy what the economy is capable of producing. So, so if that's 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 lost capacity. So he says the real he says the result is a gap between potential output and potential consumption. So this is a concept I've never heard before. So the left people aren't always wrong. Um, in this case, I think he's absolutely right. Okay, so let's let's think about it. Let's, let's let's look at this. But the gap between the potential output and the potential consumption. So if workers were paid at the level of their productivity, they'd be buying a whole lot more stuff, which means a whole lot more people at all levels, retail all the way up to the economy, would be making a whole lot more money, which means they'd have money for savings, money for investing, money for education, money for all kinds of things. The economy would be a lot better off. But if you concentrate it in the wealthiest people at the top, they're not spending it at the level that consumers spend it. I mean, how many yachts can you buy, right? So the very richest people buying a few yachts is nowhere near as valuable to the economy as, mil- as hundreds of millions of people you know, buying stuff every day. That's what drives the economy. The economy is the middle class, all right? Uh, without the middle class, you have no country because you have no economy because the poor folks are dependent on government and the rich folks aren't contributing, aren't contributing enough to the consumer economy uh, to keep it going. This is fascinating. He says, to fill the gap, the economy depends on people. Oh, here we go. To fill the gap, this is the difference between potential output and potential consumption. He says, to fill the gap, the economy depends on people going deeper and deeper into debt so they can buy. And that's what's happening now. Credit debt, loans, everything else is huge. Well, you know what that creates? It creates a bubble that eventually bursts. Remember 2008? Okay, that's what's happening. He says, even in 2018, when the economy appeared strong, 40% of Americans had negative net incomes and were borrowing money to pay for basic household needs. Yeah, if you have to borrow money for the basics, that's trouble. That's trouble. That, that cannot be sustained. He says the Fed has had to keep short-term interest rates lower and lower to accommodate this buying, and the government has to spend more and more to fill the remaining gap. None of this is sustainable. At some point, widening inequality causes the economy to collapse. We've seen this before. He says, years ago, Mariner Eccles, don't know who that is, chairman of the Federal Reserve from 1934 to 1948, oh, during the Depression and World War II. Interesting. 
explained that the Great Depression occurred because the buying power of most Americans fell far short of what the economy was producing. So if you can't buy, you have too much supply. If you have too much supply, the prices have to drop. If the prices drop too much, they're less than the cost of production, and the economy collapses. All right. This is interesting. Now, let's, 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 let's extend this. I'm going to leave this article now. Let's extend this a little bit more and make it even worse. Okay? So if in 2018, when the economy was roaring, 40% of Americans had negative net incomes. In other words, they, uh, they were borrowing more money. They're like the government. They had all their, all their money that came in, all the revenue that came in was spent, and they still had to borrow on top of that for the basics. Okay? That's like the federal government, except the federal government doesn't have to borrow. They're not spending on the basics. They're spending on wacko stuff. But that's a different story. But if the average family has to spend more money than they, than they can make, borrow money just for basic stuff, that's almost the definition of bankruptcy. Um, well, no, it's not. You're still, you're still borrowing money. But the problem is that your, your credit runs out, whereas the federal government credit has not run out. And that's the problem. Uh, the credit for people does run out. And what do you do when you can't borrow any more money? And then you have to borrow money to pay the interest on the money that you borrowed. That's bankruptcy. So that's where we are. So now, now, now let's make it worse. So if this, if this was a situation in 2018 when the economy was good, what is the situation now when, you know, Biden-induced inflation, you know, BII, what's <laughs> oh, so called Brandon-induced inflation. So now you have the BII problem, Brandon-induced inflation. Well, why, why, why did they do that? Well, because they spent so much money. Congress did too. Congress-induced inflation. So, so both Brandon and, and Congress have induced inflation. Well, inflation, the cure for inflation is to stop spending money. But they can't do that because they're obsessed. We already went over that in the, in, the, in the first part of this hour. All right. So now not only do we have Americans not being able to pay for their basic needs without, bar, without going into debt, we've got the economy going into so much debt, there's so much inflation that the money the Americans do make is now worth even less. Now, is that a recipe for disaster? Is that not a rape of the, rape of the American economy and the American consumer, the people that drive the economy? We're never going to have a good economy. Uh, until we get control of, of Congress's borrowing and stop this inflation and create a situation where, where workers get paid what, uh, what their, for their productivity. All right. Uh, let's, let's go to a different article here. I think I've got that. Let's, let's take a different tack. This is from CFI. I'm not sure who they are, the CFI team. Uh, it says, uh, this is Economic Collapse, written February 21st, 2021, by the entire CFI team. You can look up CFI, oh, corporatefinanceinstitute.com. So this is a conservative line. All right, so now let's take the other tag. What is economic collapse? He says, economic collapse refers to a period of natural or regional economic breakdown where the economy is in distress for a long period, which can range from a few years to several decades. During periods of economic distress, a country is characterized by social chaos, social unrest, bankruptcies, reduced trade volumes, currency volatility, and breakdown of law and order. That sounds like the Democrat platform. I mean, that's, that's pretty much where we are right now, okay? He says, the causes of economic collapse. So we're going to go over those and then uh, see how much time I have to go over other stuff. The following are some of the causes of economic collapse. One, hyperinflation. Hyperinflation occurs when the government allows inflationary pressure to build up in the economy by printing excessive money, which is exactly what they're doing, which leads to a gradual rise in the price of commodities and services. That's price inflation, but it's based on printing money, okay? We've been over this. Governments report, this is back to the article, governments report, resort, excuse me, governments resort to creating excess money and credit with the goal of managing an economic slowdown. Hyperinflation occurs when the government loses control of the price increases and raises the interest rates as a way of managing the accelerating inflation. 
Let me say that again as the Fed just raised interest rates last week. Hyperinflation occurs when the government loses control of the price increases and raises the interest rates as a way of managing the accelerating inflation. This is what I call the accelerator and the brake theory of the economy. The accelerator is spending and borrowing money and printing money. That's the accelerator. That's what creates the inflation. The brake is rising interest rates. If you're doing both at the same time, all you're doing is ruining your economic engine, spinning your wheels, and creating a whole lot of smoke, but you ain't going anywhere. That's my, my, econo- that's my economic theory of the accelerator and the brake, standing on both at the same time. That's what you get. Stagflation, number two. Stagflation refers to a situation in which the economy is growing at a slow rate while simultaneously experiencing high rates of inflation. That would be now. (laughs) Such an economic situation causes a dilemma among policymakers since the measures implemented to reduce the rise in inflation may increase unemployment levels to abnormally high levels. That's not happening because I think the government is spending so much money on on, uh, falsely created jobs and paying people to stay home. So unemployment is only measured by those who are looking for work. So if the government's paying you to stay home, you're not counted as being employed, even though you are. What you really need to see is the workforce participation rate. That's what will tell you how many people should be working. Anyway, it says uh, stagflation. Uh, let me start the sentence again. Such an economic situation causes a dilemma among policymakers since the measures implemented to reduce the rise in inflation may increase unemployment levels to abnormally high levels. Stagflation and its effects on the economy may last for several years or decades. Yeah, that's a big word, all right? Hope this hasn't ruined your morning coffee. For example, back to the article, the United States experienced stagflation from the 1960s to the 1970s. During said period, economic growth was stagnant, and the inflation peaked at 13% per annum, that's per year, while the inflation rate in the United Kingdom was at 20% per annum. Once stagflation occurs, ours was like 25%, but they're only saying 13% because they changed how they measured it. (laughs) It's a different story. All right, anyway. His article says, once stagflation occurs, it is usually difficult to manage, and governments must incur huge costs to bring balance to the economy. Well, how are they going to incur huge costs? Well, they're going to borrow more money, and they're going to print more money, and they're going to spend more money. Well, that creates inflation, which creates rising prices, which creates a stagflation, which means more unemployment, because companies have to lay people off. See how the cycle works? You've got to break the cycle. Stop spending money pass a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. And all of this goes away. This all comes back to Congress borrowing money. It really is that simple. I know. Scary that it's that simple, but it really is that simple. Stock market crash. Number three, a stock market crash occurs when there is a loss of investor confidence in the market. And there is a dramatic decline in stock prices across different stocks trading on the stock market. When the stock market crash occurs, it creates a bear market when prices drop 20% or more from their highs to hit new lows and it drains capital out of the businesses. Crashes occur when there is a prolonged period of rising stock prices, price-earning ratios exceed long-term averages, and there is excessive use of margin debt by market participants. Well, let me see if I can translate that into English for you. Price-earnings ratio. The price-earnings ratio is a ratio of the price of the stock to the earnings of the company. So if the earnings of the company would justify, one, I'm not sure how this works, but if the earnings of the company you know, justify a particular uh, price for a share, and that price is you know, many, many times above that, then it's a high price-to-earnings ratio. Uh, if, the price equals the, 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 if the price of the stock equals the earnings ratio, then they're equal. 
And it's going to be like one or zero or something like that. Anyway, um, I'll have to look into that. That's a Derek question. I'll get him back on. We'll talk about that. There's more things here. There's more stuff going on. I'll, I'm going to save this article, Sky, about uh, eight minutes left before uh, uh, Dorothy gets here. I want to do more. This is fun. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying our, our, our little stuff here. Stuff here. All right. So here's something I found interesting. Let me, let me cover this. this. There's two um, articles I have from The Balance. I might just get to one now and I might do the, the, uh, the second one. Um, just before I play the interview in the third hour. So the balance is an interesting website. U.S. and world economies, U.S. economy, GDP growth, and recessions. These are, these are serious money people. It says reserve primary fund, how it broke the, the buck causing a money market run. So this is from uh, this is April 27, 2022. Kimberly Amadeo, uh, reviewed, reviewed by Robert C. Kelly. So actually, they, they must have good editors there. This is where were you the day the U.S. economy nearly collapsed. Okay. So let, let, let's... Uh, Chairman, set the wave machine, please, for the year of September 16th, 2008. Thank you. All right. So the article says on Tuesday, September 16th, 2008, the $62.6 billion reserve primary fund broke the buck. That meant that the fund managers couldn't maintain its share price at $1 at the $1 value. Money market funds used that value as a benchmark. So let me talk about this. The reserve primary fund. Wait a minute. <laughs> You mean the Federal Reserve has funds? The Federal Reserve is acting like a private bank? They're a money manager? They manage their own money? Hmm. This, either I knew about this and forgot or I haven't heard about it, uh, but this really defines something. This is, this is like really inside baseball, okay? That the Federal Reserve has a primary fund and the value of that fund went below a dollar. That's interesting. <laughs> I don't know why it's interesting, but it is, all right? Anyway, it says investors were panicking after Monday's bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers. They were taking out their money too fast. They worried that the fund would go bankrupt due to its investments in Lehman Brothers. So the Fed actually invests in the banks. Well, this is even more interesting. I got to trace this for you. I got I to do a whole show on this, all right? So I got to find out what the Fed, what the Fed invested in, what the Federal Reserve Bank, the, the people that are in charge of our money, printing our money, regulating our money, setting interest rates. I want to find out what, how their funds work and how they regulate uh, the economy to benefit their funds <laughs> and therefore their stockholders. And that's why we don't need a Fed. This is, this is really, this is, this is so bad, it's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, the article says that bank had invested a large part, that's Lehman Brothers, of their holdings in mortgage-backed securities and other derivatives. Does that sound familiar from 2008, folks? Mortgage-backed securities and derivatives? Okay. It said those investments were losing value because housing prices had started falling in 2006. Great timing. Yeah, nothing ever goes up forever, okay? That includes, nothing, nothing comes down faster than a price once it's reached its peak, all right? And so, anyway, article says that meant mortgage holders couldn't sell their homes for what they paid for them. I believe the term is underwater, okay? So if mortgages, if you can't sell the house for what you paid for it, that means even if you sell your house, you still, have, you still owe money. Then it says banks were foreclosing. As a result, Lehman declared bankruptcy. That, weren't they too big to fail? Guess not. <laughs> that, that panic created an unprecedented run on the supposedly safe money market. Right? Money markets are like, it, it, I'm not sure how it works. It's kind of like uh, uh, you, you, you buy the market and the money market invests it, but they do it in really safe stuff. So it, it's better than a bank account in terms of uh, interest, but not much. <laughs> but it's better than nothing. So, you know, it's a good place to park money temporarily when you're making uh, different investments. Again, these are more Derek questions. All right. Back to the article. On Wednesday, the United States came close to an economic collapse. On September 17, 2008, investors withdrew a record $144.5 billion from the money market accounts. By September 19th, when the U.S. Treasury took action, they'd taken out 
billion. That's with a B, folks. B for Bravo. B. Money market accounts had always been the safest of investments. <laughs> right. That's where companies, sovereign wealth funds, and even retirees keep their cash. During, it's a place to park your cash that's better than the bank account. That's, that's, and they always thought money markets were safe. Anyway, this is during a typical week, only about $7 billion is withdrawn. Well, that's a big difference than 144.5. <laughs> it says worried investors were moving the funds to U.S. Treasuries. That forced Treasury yields to drop below zero. In other words, investors were so panicked that they no longer cared if they got any return on their investment. They just didn't want to lose capital. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> Money market funds are also where businesses keep their cash overnight. They use it for day-to-day operations. If those funds run dry, in other words, everybody takes their money out of the money markets, right? Your grocery store shelves go empty within weeks. The grocery firms run out of cash to pay truckers or other distributors. Well, isn't that interesting? There's your supply chain problem, all right? It says, here's how the Wall Street Journal described that September 17th. Huddled in his office Wednesday with top advisors, Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson watched his financial data terminal with alarm. One market after another began to go haywire. Investors were fleeing money market mutual funds, long considered ultra safe. The market froze for the short-term loans that banks rely on to finance their day-to-day businesses. Without such a mechanism, the economy would grind to a halt. Now they tell us, right? Congress would be unable to fund their daily operations. Soon, consumers would panic. Now, there's your collapse. So we almost faced a collapse in 2008. What got us out of it? That's even scarier than what got us into it, right? The article says banks had also been hoarding cash. They were too anxious to lend to each other for fear of taking on bad debt as collateral. Normally, financial institutions have about $2 billion on hand at any given time. By Thursday, they had acquired an unprecedented $190 billion. They wanted to have cash on hand in case of mass redemptions. In other words, people cashing in their stuff, right? America was on the brink of a total run on the banks. Unlike the Great Depression, it wasn't, worried. It wasn't by worried depositors. This time, it was by corporate investors. So who bailed them out? Wasn't this George Bush the Younger? 2008, the great bailouts, okay? Again, the bailouts are even scarier because they set us up for what, we, what we're in now. And here's another one too, another quote. It says, without these funds participation, without these funds participation, the 1.7 trillion, what is that interesting number? Is that the same number that they're uh, trying to borrow uh, before Christmas? <laughs> Here we go again. The $1.7 trillion commercial paper market, which finances automakers, lending arms, or banks' credit arm card units, faced higher costs. Without commercial paper, and I'm not sure what that is, without commercial paper, factories would have to shut down, people would lose their jobs, and there would be an effect on the real economy. And that's Paul Schott-Stevens, president of the Investment Company Institute Mutual Fund Trade Group. Yeah, real inside baseball stuff. Secretary Paulson confirmed with the Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke, he agreed that the problem was beyond the scope of monetary policy. In other words, they had no hope. <laughs> the federal government was the only entity large enough to take effective action. This is a fascinating story. All right. This is how the government bailed out something they never should have uh, uh, done, uh, but they, they think they were – well, anyway, let me read it because I'm, I'm, I'm not clear on all these details. The federal government was the only entity large enough to take effective action. The two decided – that's Ben Bernanke and uh, Treasury Secretary Paulson. All right, so Federal Reserve Chair Ben Bernanke, Treasury Secretary Paulson, the two people that basically run the economy, right? Uh, the federal government was, only, was the only entity large enough to take effective action. He says the two decided to ask Congress to appropriate $700 billion, it's almost a trillion, to bail out banks in danger of bankruptcy. Why such a large sum? It had to be enough to stop the panic and restore confidence. Well, where does the government get $7 billion? They borrow it. 
What does that create? Inflation. <laughs> and here we are. See how this works, right? Article says that's how the money market run triggered the bank bailout bill. Congress balked at approving the bailout investment bailout uh, of investment banks who purchased mortgage-backed securities. In other words, they did it to themselves. The corporations you know, bought mortgage-backed securities on mortgages that were uh, so horribly done, so bad, because Bill Clinton wanted everybody to buy houses, right? So he told the banks, you have to buy a house or you have to loan money to everybody whether they can pay it back or not. Well, that was stupid, all right? But that's what caused, ultimately, ultimately this problem was caused by Bill Clinton's policy, uh, the Community Housing Act or whatever it was, that said that you have to loan to everybody. If you're not, you're a racist. <laughs> that's where that comes from, right? So you can't be a racist, right? You've got to loan money to everybody. So that's what happened. So this, is, uh, so this says that uh, Congress balked at approving the bailout investment uh, banks who purchased mortgage-backed securities. In other words, they were on fault. They should have gone bankrupt. I'm sorry. You, you, you bought loans from people that couldn't pay it back. Well, that's not my fault. I don't, have to bail you. I don't have to bail them out. Congress doesn't have to bail them out. Taxpayers don't have to bail them out. They've got to restructure their finances and come back leaner and meaner and better. And don't be so stupid next time. But they didn't do that because George Bush, the younger, was the product of the establishment. And that's why this happened. Anyway, it says some didn't believe financial institutions were now in danger of defaulting. Others wanted to let the free market take its course. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> Still others were concerned about spending taxpayer dollars to make up for those banks' poor judgments. That would be me again. The money market run showed just how close the global economy was to a catastrophic meltdown. What, what, what do you mean the global economy? Well, yeah, I guess the U.S., as Derek has talked about, that the U.S. is such a major part of the, of the global economy. But you know what? I think the globe would have done just fine because they would have said, don't do this in our country, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that we, we would have recovered just fine without, you know, the banks being rewarded for their horrible investments. And, and as I say, I explain it. It's like a gambler. It's like the federal government said to, to a gambler who'd lost everything and borrowed money to, to, to gamble more. And they were so far in debt, they couldn't possibly pay it back. And they were in danger of, uh, you know, just losing everything, of, of just, you know, being put in a, in a homeless shelter. All right. And I said, okay, we'll, we'll make back your, your losses. All right. Go gamble again. <laughs> you know, go ahead and do it again because there's, there's, there's no penalty for it. So that's exactly what happened. So the government made up the bank's losses and they're free to do it again. And guess where we are now? <laughs> Stagflation. So the government has picked the government that they want to borrow the most money to create the, the worst possible situation Also, they can perpetuate their power at the expense of our economy. That's why I called the rape of the U.S. economy. The last paragraph, the money market run showed just how close the global economy was to a catastrophic meltdown. Congress asked Paulson what would happen if the bailout weren't approved. He quietly replied, heaven help us all. In other words, he doesn't know. <laughs> he, he doesn't know if it worked or not. In fact, he doesn't even care. That's the crazy part. The crazy part is he doesn't care. He just wanted the banks bailed out, and that's the problem. All right, hopefully Dorothy Diana will join us soon. I'm going to go check uh, messages, check other stuff, play a couple more things for you here, and uh, uh, because that's, that's what I do. I'll be right back. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. 
That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strike Force is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Action Radio. Dedicated to fixing everything. Yeah, I guess that includes uh, Dorothy's phone. <laughs> you did a couple of glitches this morning, so uh, glad you're here. So all is well. Do we have you for oh, the hour, or do you, you. Do, you have a, do you have just a short time, or what are we what are we working with uh, this morning? Well, I always plan for the full hour, but I'm usually a hard stop at eleven. I'm well, very committed. I have a lot of go- things going on, enjoyable things, but you know, I'm popular. <laughs> You you are yeah I see you on Facebook too. In fact, uh, we should we share a little. <laughs> we, we, I love sarcasm as as, as uh, Dorothy knows, and she's really good at it too. So between the two of us, we have way too much fun on Facebook between the uh, uh, between the weeks when we're chatting here. So so you were you were making some gingerbread men and women. <laughs> I made gingerbread houses. You know I I make it from scratch because if you read the ingredients on the kits and mm-hmm. your health and wellness people will appreciate this. If you read the ingredients, it's nothing we want to really eat and and kids usually like to snack on them they usually break off little pieces after you make it for the you know the week Mm -hmm. or so it's up they can't resist it and so I'd rather have something they can eat so years ago I started making my own from scratch gingerbread for the houses I got some molds and they do come with little gingerbread men molds but um we don't always do that sometimes we run out but um (laughs) yes (laughs) how come they don't have ginger women 
I mean, what, what, if you have ginger I men, do. Which my ginger my kit comes with a man and a woman, and you can tell it's a man and a woman because one of them has a dress on, and one of them does oh. not. Oh, <laughs> well, that's interesting. So we're going to make some uh, assumptions, assumptions here, right? <laughs> so, 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 so the the question is, yes, what do you do with your gingerbread men and women? Uh, but we we had a little fun on Facebook <laughs> uh, talking about this, but it, it's kind of cool. But it sort of raised the issue, or not the issue, but the question of uh, you know fun food for Christmas. You know, enticing food, central Christmas food. I don't even know if we're going to talk about that, but I just, you know, I'm always looking for 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 a new way to tend uh, Dorothy um, to go into areas she might not have talked about before. But this is kind of fun. Um, well, yeah. I, you know, I think that we're in the season of a lot of. I'm just going to say a lot of stress for a lot of women. And again, I know I'm saying women, but I am a woman, and and usually the domestic um, coordinator usually mm-hmm. is a woman. Sometimes it's a man, but the domestic coordinator right now has a lot of, I mean, a lot of joy, a lot of fun, but a lot of burden. So I'm always amazed. I look around at my group of, of, of fellow moms. You know, I homeschool my kids. And so I have, a, I have a group of moms where mostly they stay at home and educate and entertain and socially coordinate and feed and care for multiple children and also, mm-hmm. you know, partners that work and want Including to come home and have a yeah. meal. And, <laughs> partners, yeah, exactly. yeah. So, so <laughs> and this children, season just, has a yeah. Oh, well, there's a lot of expectations that our culture puts on us. So I think mm-hmm. just giving a nod to that and to the amazingness I'm seeing, like, you know, I'm seeing women who take the time to put things aside. They put the clean house aside. They put the um, needing to do everything perfect aside. And they're spending quality time with their kids doing simple activities and um, deciding they're not going to play into the maybe spending a lot of money game. So, you know, maybe they're going to do activities instead of gifts or um, do angel trees, or go um, help people in need. And, um, I, you know, I, I just think there's a lot of beautiful things happening during this time of overwhelm. Um, and I think also creating, you know, maybe sharing gifts that are more meaningful if you're going to buy them. And, you know, we talk a lot about sensuality. Well, that could be like a massager or, you know, something that brings some comfort and joy into your people's lives, whether it's a partner or family, something that is healing, healthy, feels good. You know, women tend to like pretty soft things, so like a really lovely cashmere sweater or a soft blanket, just something that adds to their life if you're going to buy in a, in a meaningful, feel-good way and just really thinking about them. So um, these kind of things have been on my mind, like the women that I know and how we can feed them and how we can choose gifts that um, feel good and, and, and fill us up and not just, you know, junk. I don't know. These are kind of my thoughts on this one. Yeah. I just wondering from a nutritional point of view, is there any ginger in gingerbread anymore? I mean, ginger is yes. good for you. Well, mine, mine has a lot of ginger. It's very spicy. When you bite into it, it you mm-hmm. can, there's ginger, there's cloves. So ginger, as you know, is an anti-inflammatory. It's mm-hmm. great for the GI system. It has many health benefits. Cloves is an anti-parasitic, amongst other things. Mm, so I put ginger cloves and a lot of – I use Ceylon cinnamon, which is special. It's not regular cinnamon, and it has right. many health benefits. It's quite magical, actually. Huh. And, uh, yeah, so I, I feel good about eating it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just think cloves being an anti-parasitic, uh, where they go in, in, in ham, for example. Was that a tradition mm-hmm. way back when? So that yummy. Wasn't... Oh, that is – you're yeah. right. That's, I never thought of that. Hmm. I Neither wonder if that's because now. pigs carry a lot of pigs carry a lot of parasites. I mean, if yeah. you don't, you know, right? You know this, and um, so, undercooked yeah. pork, 
Did you see the YouTube video going around? This passed through my circle because it's a lot, I have a lot of nutrition and detox in my circle. And mm-hmm. uh, the woman poured Pepsi on the slice of pork. She got it from the grocery store and she poured Pepsi on the slice of pork that was raw. And you know, the worms came out. It caused the worms to leave the flesh and, and um, exit. And, and so they were very tiny and you wouldn't see them when you bought it. They're sort of laying dormant mm-hmm. in this fresh pork that was slaughtered. And uh, I mean, because they're very hardy, as you know, parasites, probably they're very hardy. And so they can hang out for a while and wait to their next host. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it was it was a big wake up. That's real. And that's interesting, Greg, that I, that's I a new that, Pepsi that challenge, that is isn't it? <laughs> is this the new Pepsi challenge? How many worms can you extract from your pork? I don't eat pork. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not, I, I can joke about this a little bit. But this is now. Can you do that with all meat? Can you does uh, beef and lamb work the same way? Well, you know, pork is known for, for carrying a lot of parasites. So I think this was just a great hmm. share to, because if you're in denial that, that we all probably carry parasites, which I believe well, that's why after I years of researching this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's why I have a Yeah. That's why yeah, I, I want to get, uh, I so, want to take a, yeah. yeah, but I want to get an ivermectin parasite, whatever it is, whatever the prevention dose for my weight is, which is dropping by the way, which is great. But uh, I'm wondering if I should do that like yearly. You know, I never have, but I, it might be just something I to include. I do a parasite cleanse every six months and okay. it's because I researched it for years and I watched it and I know people and I just, I really, it's not something I just did on the whim, but I do it every six months knowing okay. that I'm clearing something out, not wondering if I am, but knowing that I am. It is so much more prolific than we are led to believe in Western culture. Yeah. And ivermectin will not get rid of every stage of parasite. So look that up. You can do your own research. But it, there's an egg stage, a larva stage, and, a, and an adult stage. And you want to clear out all three if you're really mm-hmm. doing a cleanse. Right. And um, there's a way to do that quite easily. And, and ivermectin is wonderful. And I believe one of the reasons it worked for COVID, <laughs> I, I believe it probably had some effect on whatever that was that was going around, that virus. So I think it's still, you know, there's still some mystery around COVID-19, but um, I also believe that it probably people who had weakened immune systems from parasitic activity, which, which is most people, mm-hmm. if you took ivermectin, you now got rid of some of the pathogens that were holding you back from truly fighting any upper respiratory viral. So if you get rid of those, now your immune system is free to do its job again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if ivermectin had a double sort of role there, right? It's interesting. No, it makes yeah. perfect sense. You know, yeah. So how does, uh, not getting too far afield here, but how does one do a, a, a parasite cleanse? Mm-hmm. So my favorite protocol is Holda Clark's. It dates back from, I think, the 60s. It's tried and true. Many naturopaths and functional medicine and people all over the board in holistic health field use a version of her um, of, of her cleanse or What's her, her cleanse directly. It's Holda Clark, H-U-L-D-A, last name Clark. So it essentially involves, I mean, first of all, you need to stop feeding them. So if you're, if you're, if you're encouraging them to stay in your house by laying out the red carpet, by eating sugar, you're kind of an uphill battle. So my strong okay. advice is you take three days to a week to eliminate all forms of sugar. So most of us are addicted on some level. You get about three days to get withdrawal. It's like withdrawing from a drug. <laughs> you go on keto yeah. or whatever diet, but you get rid of all sugars. You stop mm-hmm. feeding them. You start taking the trifecta of clove oil wormwood oil, which is artemisinin, which right. is coincidentally what two of the African countries used during COVID, and they never 
they never did lockdown. They never, they never stopped going to work and they did fine. Um, Artemis and then Wormwood, it's called Wormwood. They have clove mm-hmm. oil, Wormwood oil, and um, green husk of black walnut. So it's not just black walnut oil, it's green husk of black walnut. It's actually readily available. It's not uncommon. And you get those three things. There's many good sources. Gaia is a great source um, of, of, good, of good tinctures. There's a few. But, um, and you, the protocol's online. But essentially, uh-huh. you, you take, you know, if you have a sensitive system, you can start off slow. I never had a problem with these. They never made me feel weird. Um, uh-huh. Clove can make some people slightly nauseous. That's all. But they're so safe. These are so safe. And it's a protocol about a month. If you really want to do a great job and make sure nothing is living, everything is gone from all the little, so they hide in the liver. You'll have, there's parasitic cysts that are really good at hiding in your body. But if you really want to clear them all out, um, it's about a month. And um, that's your big bang. And then after that, you can do like just a maintenance cleanse every six months, about a week. And you should be fine as long as your exposure is, you know, moderate. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what my exposure would be, though. Um, you know, I've, I've been, you know, the sushi might be an issue, uh, but I haven't had that for a while. I haven't eaten pork in years. Um, but, uh, you know, walking around barefoot, having pets. No, don't have pets. I hate going mm-hmm. barefoot. I've never liked going barefoot. It's kind of interesting. You know, yeah, all the kids are running around barefoot. Like, nope, not me. I like my sneakers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I mean, there's, yeah. there, I think there's a benefit traveled. to intent. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've traveled a lot. Well, travel and food. I mean, like, you know, you're, it sounds like you're aware. I mean, we, you know, the health, you don't have to protect yourself from everything. You just be aware of your exposure. I always tell my kids, like, all right, cool. We mm-hmm. hung out with those kids last night. We had so much fun. I noticed some sniffling. Let's go ahead and bump up our vitamin A and D this morning. Let's go ahead and high dose vitamin C. Let's just go ahead and do it, guys. Let's take a zinc. Mm-hmm. Let's just do our, let's do our protocol for as if we were sick this morning. Let's just do Won't it. Hurt. Just to get our immune system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we don't need to think much about it. We just say, so it's like just being aware. Um, you know, we, we went to the, we were on the airplane and we had to go to the bathroom and, you know, the truth is, oh, we go, like, so drunk. Do it right there. well, I mean, yeah, so let's go ahead and drink some lemon water. Let's go ahead and take a little apple cider vinegar. Let's go ahead and just, if there's anything that entered our gut, let's go ahead and get rid of it. Maybe take an activated charcoal. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do. One thing, one of those things, and then whatever kind of got into your system doesn't get a hold. Yeah. It's, it's gone, you know? Yeah. Um, this kind of a discussion this uh, morning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got Regarding my. Regarding uh, barefoot, my... I think that I think. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, tell me. Sorry, I, you know I'm such a blabbermouth, and I get these ideas, and I just want well, to finish. We're on our but, show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, well, I just want to touch on barefoot. You you mentioned you never go barefoot. I will say there's a benefit of wearing barefoot, like if you're woods walking or grounding. That's real. Mm-hmm. The grounding your electrical fields with uh, the roots of the tree and the ground. But again, intentional. Like like I'm not going to walk through this. I'm going to walk in a place that isn't frequented by a lot of, you know, domestic dogs. I'm going to, I'm going to do my grounding in a clean, cleaner, more natural mm-hmm. area. But, um, you know, I think your intuition about going barefoot is probably spot on, but there is benefit. Well, the beach is the exception. <laughs> barefoot yeah. the, the, I go barefoot at the beach because I don't think a lot of parasites are going to be living in, in saltwater sand, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very few, right? Almost nothing. I think you're right. Yeah. So the beach is the exception. And of course, in San Francisco, the beach is so cold. <laughs> and my, my beach season is the opposite of everybody else's. My my season is like October through March. That's when I go to the beach. Stay away from the beach in the summer. Mm-hmm. It's too hot. There's too many people. I don't like it. Anyway, back to Christmas. Um, so you made a really interesting point earlier about about stress, especially on women. Um, so you almost need a holiday from your holiday. So should couples um, celebrate something early, like a pre-Christmas, 
hey, we know it's going to be stressful. We're going to take a weekend. We're going to go have fun. We're going to go, you know, hit the spa, do the mud bath, you know, go wine tasting, something like that. Just get away before the holiday. Or should they do something after the holiday or both? I'm thinking both, depending on how stressed the people are. I, well, I think, like, I think what we've talked about, I, I think that we can never revisit this topic enough of communication. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a healthy relationship with someone who loves you and you love them, to be able to be creative and think outside the box and say, hey, let's get off this hamster wheel of expectations for the holiday time. What mm-hmm. message do we want to send our children? Or what, what, what sort of feeling do we want to have with each other at this holiday time? Um, are we even going to exchange gifts? Or do I give you a back massage or something else really fun, right? Or, yeah. you know, instead they of gifts, we take an, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, a wonderful oral sex experience with no time limit or I mean there's so many hmm. things you can play with like let's let's dress up and do role playing let me be that gift for you or let's go to get a couple's massage or um, let's and get a peacock I think feather. with children most housewives I mean this is where we run into issues is that they're so overwhelmed and it frequently mm-hmm. feels so unappreciated that that there is no room for sexuality or warm, fuzzy feelings because they're empty. They're empty buckets. So what is your partner's love language? The acknowledging that she's trying really hard and she's giving a lot usually. Usually there's a lot of pressure and, and effort and, and, and her bucket might be empty. What's her love language and how can you fill it for mm-hmm. her this entire season? And when a woman is filled, she has endless energy to reciprocate. When her emotional bucket is filled, the rewards for the masculine energy in her life are boundless. So that is real. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that makes perfect in sense. a good relationship. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. right. So it's, it's worth it to take the time. And I think like to get off the hamster wheel and decide what is Christmas for us, let's, let's redefine it in our own value system and let's make it exciting and share it with the kids. And when we're on board together and mm-hmm. we have this great plan and we're enthusiastic, they're going to get on board and they're going to like, forget the grumbling. Who cares? Just keep reframing it as positive. They're going to get on board with us. And um, whatever we decide our Christmas looks like, um, it needs to meet our needs as a family, not uh, meeting the needs of these expect- cultural expectations or extended family or Facebook friends and what they see us doing. You know, it needs yeah. to be our special thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big believer. And you've talked in, about in, that, too. Yeah. What's that? About which? And you've talked about that, too, especially for Valentine's Day. You have all kinds of fabulous ideas you've shared of how we can get off that cultural like oh, yeah. programming, yeah. right? Yeah. And then we're talking about steak and BJ Day, you know, the month after after Valentine's Day. Oh, <laughs> so I we'll love we'll that. do that when that comes up. I want to celebrate that. <laughs> so do I, as a matter of fact. But that's, that's another story. Oh. Um, what I want to, I was thinking, uh, yeah, we have, this is what I say, folks, we have too much fun on this show. This is the hour. If you want to ask a question, this is the, this is the unabashedly unashamed hour, so feel free. 215 uh, 383 depending. Well, actually, we had a, an issue before. Maybe I shouldn't do that. I'll, I'll, I'll have to rethink that. Um, something I was thinking of. Yeah, because, do, oh, yeah, it's. Yeah. People are so attracts. bottled up. Their sexuality is so bottled yeah, up. This that, that, do that a live they, chat. Just, yeah, let's make it live chat. Yeah. Type in a question on live chat, and you can you can talk to us that way. Um, but otherwise, <laughs> and that's right on the broadcast page. Otherwise, you know, and if you type me a nasty message on live chat, it doesn't go out over the air. I can delete it. <laughs> it's great. Um, I'm a big believer in not celebrating a holiday on the actual day of the holiday. I started this with my daughter when I was a single parent. And so we celebrated a week early. 
So everything was open. There was no stress. We could go anywhere. We could do anything. You know, all the Christmas lights were up. All the things were happening. Everything was great. And by Christmas Day, people are sick of Christmas, unfortunately. Uh, that's why people yeah. go to movies at night. You know, we can talk about that too. But, um, you know, Valentine's Day, the best thing with Valentine's is, is a few days ahead of time, or even a week ahead of time. Why, why are we so commercialized that we have to do everything on the day and, and the expectations of what you have to do on the day? It's, it's also pre-programmed. You want to talk about a mood killer? You know, it's like, well, I have to get the right gift for my, you know, partner, male, female, whatever. Mm. I have to do this. Okay. The more times, the more times you say I have to, that's that's a killer right there. This is for guys too. I you're mean, right. Guys, have to you know, means many, you're a slave, uh, and if you're you, so if you're a slave, you have mm-hmm. to do things. So you decide mm-hmm. if you're a slave or not, right? Yeah. 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 And, but expectations, you know, we haven't really talked about this, but the expectations on the holidays can be just as much of a mood killer as the actual stress of doing things. Because now, now you're thinking, is it the right gift? You know, is it good enough? Will, will he or she, you know, like what I've done? And the approval, we really talked about the approval of gifts. I mean, even if you don't like the gift, it's still a gift. So the real gift is the thought behind it, as we all say. You know, the gift itself, yeah, things are returnable. So there's a communication issue. Hey, if you give me the worst thing in the world, I don't care. You know, say, hey, sweetie, that's the ugliest sweater I've ever seen. I love you madly. You know, this is great. Let's take it back and let's go pick something else. Oh, okay. Well, I feel like, again, love languages. Mm -hmm. Let's bring back the love languages. I have three children, and I will tell you, I have two where gifts is a love language, one where it is not. And and this this kid that doesn't have it, I took him skeet shooting yesterday. Um, Mm -hmm. I got him some ammo. Listen, I was at a preschool that had no guns. I've transformed so much as a mom. Um, this kid likes to hunt and shoot, like and I'm following him. I'm shooting. like, all right. Uh, that's great. I mean, hey, I'm, just, ammo. I'm just, I'm like, I don't know who you are, but I'll try to help you. But so he went, so part of my gift for him is experiences, and um, he doesn't really want a lot of stuff. He, he doesn't like it. He likes a clean room without a lot of junk. So if oh. I'm going to go get him gifts to for him to unwrap, if they're not very well thought out, and really it's a waste of my time and money. So I said, here's some ammo, and I put it in a Christmas um, bag. And he was so excited. He opened it up. He's like, yeah, this is the kind of gift I want. I said, let's go skeet shooting. And I felt really good about that because I was like, okay, this kid really, like, I finally, I finally got it. It took me 12 years. He's 12. Okay, this is really what he wants. Now, the other two uh-huh. want to open things. I have to be aware of that. So I start thinking about it in September, not December, like, you know, because there's no pressure and then I can really be thoughtful. But, um, you know, so I'll save up some of the things they need. I'll just wait and I'll wrap it and save it. Um, uh-huh. but again, back to love languages, I think it's about knowing like if your love partner's love language or your family members, like, you know, say you're trying to find a gift for your mother-in-law, but her love language is quality time. Then you write her a little card and it opens up and says, we're spending a day shopping together at your favorite place or baking cookies together, or this is my gift to you. I want to spend uh-huh. time with you. And that will mean so much more to her. You know, she might love that fuzzy blanket you got at Cracker Barrel you know, and feel free to throw that in. But, but, you know, I would say use love languages as a guide for meaningful gifts, you know, um, yeah. and start uh, early. Yeah. Start early yeah. if you can. <laughs> I got a round of applause to you for giving ammo to your kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's great. That's, nothing warms the heart like ammo. <laughs> I, went, well, I, I should do a Christmas heart, ad. What's that? Oh, he was so happy. And I went to the gun range. And I had to ask the guys. I was like, all right, because I don't know what I'm uh-huh. talking about. I'm like, listen, this is what we're doing. Just tell me what I need. And they're like, well, yeah. is he going to shoot a 12 gauge or a 20? I'm like, oh, oh, panic. I don't know. So I'm texting the seat shooter instructor. I'm like, you know, um, 
Right. But, but they really helped me. I love our gun range point blank in Mooresville. Oh my gosh. They're so, they're so nice. And you know, that's a great gift for Christmas too, especially uh, uh, if people want to start caring for self-protection or just, just for the skill. I mean, uh, give skills, you know, give a lesson. Like I would encourage uh, you, if you have one of your kids that wants to learn to fly, give them a flying lesson, try it out. You know, I used to do demos for students all the time. Absolutely. Oh, you got, you got one in mind? One of your, one of your kids? a A gun range annual pass or you can yep. buy a gift card, three private lessons. Our gun range, you don't even have to have a weapon. You can come in and you can say, hey, I don't know what oh. I'm doing, and they'll let you use one of theirs. And I think it's $100 for a private, but it's well worth the money, one hour. Um, and that's an experience that will last a lifetime. It might start a new passion, and it's uh-huh. certainly a valuable skill. And, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great idea. I agree. Yep, shooting lessons, but also flying lessons, sailing lessons, archery, anything. And my daughter was anything. Like that, you know? Anything. We used to, you know, she didn't look, you know, she did a lot of stuff. I did, I'm not a stuff person. I, and I think memories and experiences, you know, the greatest. So we traveled a lot, you know, and never got a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, she got stuff, you know, from other family and things like that. But, uh, you know, I think, well, let's go to Hawaii. <laughs> There's a present, you know, and we had the most amazing time, the most amazing memories. But to travel, I think, is one of the, the best things that you can do. Uh, with kids because they're only, you know, at whatever age they're at, they're only there for a short time and they change so fast that uh, as you travel and you make those memories, nobody remembers the, the days that they spent in the office or things like that, but everybody remembers their vacations. And so vacations are one of the most important gifts yeah. the year-round gifts. And they don't have to be expensive. I want to share that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going through a divorce from a man that has mm-hmm. a lot of money and mm-hmm. we would go, we went to Mexico and I was, I planned a lot of our trips. We, we traveled internationally quite a few times and, um, mm-hmm. I would say he leaned towards these expensive hotels and expensive because that was his comfort zone. Right. But towards the last couple of years of our marriage, I started taking the kids on my own when he'd be out of town working, I would take them. And I didn't, I, I'm going to be honest. I always felt guilty sort of spending <laughs> too much money because that's the way I was yeah. raised. So I didn't, I didn't go, you know, whole hog. I would go super simple with them and I would mm-hmm. take them. We, and I kind of felt shy that maybe they wouldn't have a good time at first because they're so used to these fancy trips. We had the best little trips, road trips, two hours away, little cabins, mm-hmm. um, Dollywood staying in a little simple hotel. Like, I'm telling you, they it, agree. It was like the best, um, just taking them somewhere. It, it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Um, we stayed at an $80 a night little cabin in Gram- near Grandfather Mountain, um, which is just right up the road. And did really simple things, went for a walk to a waterfall. And my kids, who are a little spoiled and used to fancy things, had a fantastic time. My teenager walked far ahead of us and climbed the waterfall rocks by himself all the way up to the top. I mean, he felt so proud of himself. Like, you could tell he didn't say anything, but he was like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. It was just well, accomplishment a different is kind more of fun than a fancy experience. hotel. If you can accomplish something. I think it was. If you can go, yeah. you know, do the zip line or ride down a waterfall or uh, any things you can do. Like uh, I took my daughter swimming with dolphins. You know, it's one of the best things we ever did. Uh, and just to be able to those experiences, people, I think they undervalue experience too much, which is, which is a problem because experiences can be the best gifts that you can give. And they're always with you. And then you want well, to have more experiences. Well, our culture doesn't emphasize that. So if you watch a lot of TV huh. and you're right. part of mainstream culture, there is probably an intentional push away from that and more towards tangible consumer items that is going to make the big box stores a lot of money. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at TV commercials, which, you know, I don't have a TV, but I'm still exposed to 
TV sometimes in offices or at the, you know, the oil change place or whatever. Now I can really see like, wow, these commercials, what they want people to believe and think and want and think is valuable. And, you know, the tree full of the perfect tree in the perfectly clean house full of tons of presents, perfectly wrapped. I mean, we got to just say no. Nope. Sorry. I mean, if that really floats your boat and you're a single wealthy woman and you have all the time in the world, fine. But, you know, mm-hmm. kids aren't into that. Like, they don't care. They want to decorate the tree themselves. Here's the ornaments. Have fun. Do whatever you want with the tree. I mean, you're going to end up with a fucked, excuse me, a screwed up looking <laughs> tree, but they're going to, it's their tree and they love it. And when people come over, you say, look at that. The kids did it. And they can think you're crazy. And like, why would she want her tree to look like that? You know, and that doesn't matter. You know, like, like how it looks, we have to get away from that, right? It's, it's the experience of it, how it feels. It's, you know, what it means. Yeah. I sort of went yeah. off on a tangent, but you see where I'm going. Well, you're allowed to. <clears throat> Feel free. I actually have a couple of calls online. One for a number I don't recognize. So you're going to have to go to live chat and identify yourself and, and tell us who you are, uh, where you're from, mm-hmm. what you want to talk about. And I still may or may not. I just like I said, we've had a couple of issues. The other call is Warren, who's mm-hmm. another uh, talk show host on Block Talk Radio. Um, so mm-hmm. did you have did, are, this is the topic you wanted to cover, Dorothy, or did you have another specific talk, topic? What's in mind? the number? What's the number coming in? Let's see if I recognize uh, it. I can't say it over the air. Oh, OK. OK. <laughs> I can text it to you. Um, let me do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can try that because we're, we're this is you know I'm picky about calls well, anyway. Is it a three ten or four oh four? Is it a three ten or if it's a three ten or four oh four? I know I, I know them. No, but. it's not. No, it's a different number. Okay. All right, I tell you what. So we're going to. But Warren, I just want to tell you that I wanted to keep you on topic here because I know you have your own show and I know we. If you want to talk economics, we can do that in the next hour. Uh, we can do a little bit of that. But if, you, if you're going to be on topic, uh, then I can bring you on now. So let me bring you on now. See if we get you on topic here first of all. So Warren from. Uh, Fellow Blog Talk Radio host, uh, you're on with Dorothy Diana in the Sex and Sensuality Report. <laughs> yeah, what? great. I'll, yeah, I, yeah, I'll talk about the other issues. Uh, I'll wait after this portion is completed because I want to okay. comment on some of the other issues you brought up. Sure, no problem at all. Let me just put you back on unmute for a bit, and you're welcome to listen. We'll bring you back on in the next hour. And the other caller, like I say, if you identify yourself on live chat, type in a message, then uh, I'll think about taking your call. All right. So back to you. So where's so Christmas? Oh boy. Um, yeah, this is gonna be fun. And Monday after Christmas, I'll be I'll be broadcasting. So I'm gonna keep going. Uh, we have lots lots of things to do uh, there. So anyway, where should we go from here? What haven't we covered about Christmas? Well, so the topics I actually had in my mind for this week were. When you talked about the gingerbread men and women, I was a little bit playing with the gender thing, but we've covered that a lot. Like, well, we can't. We can't do, do we know see, I don't want to give a specific – well, here's, here's my uh-huh. question, though. I don't want to talk about exactly what we talk about on Facebook because I don't want you to think or anybody to think that uh, something that I, that I do in a Facebook conversation is automatically going to be broadcast to the world. So if you want to share of that course. particular of one, course. It was just an interesting uh, thought. It, it, it led to other thoughts. And then, honestly, I was um, – a little bit t- thinking about assistive devices. So I know that's really not Christmassy, but uh, that's okay. We don't have to be it's your report. I, there were some conversations that happened this week where uh, someone in my yoga class has some hip issues and there's many positions she couldn't do. And um, we got to chatting afterwards. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, I just wanted to give a shout out that if, Having, having sex with your partner does require some flexibility usually and pressure on certain joints and um, 
it can be difficult for people with injuries. And I just wanted to Mm. share that there are many positions and modifications you can make. Just Mm -hmm. like in yoga, there are sexual position modifications for all kinds of injuries. And there are great online resources for that. And also, if it's a permanent injury, like a permanent uh, hip issue or for the more usually people getting older or at, or athletes or that hip were replacements. injured permanent. Yeah, no, there are uh, wonderful uh, assistive yeah. devices. And huh. that might be actually a great Christmas gift. Now they have carrying bags. They have things that are portable and pulled up easily. So if you're traveling together. Um, and I, I just wanted to give a shout out. Don't let any body different ability prevent you from having so much fun with your partner and uh well, there's is always there, ways to mm-hmm. here's the question and i'm sorry to interrupt you again if we tend to walk all over each other for those that are wondering why it's just we're all good friends here but it just we all get so enthusiastic to talk uh, is there a position for everybody you know is you know in the multitude of things out there is there you know, with injuries, with, uh, you know, whatever complications, arthritis, other things happen, especially as folks get older, hip replacements, knee replacements, you know, uh, bad backs, <laughs> what else is there, overweight, you know, is there a position for everybody at some point? Greg, where, where there is desire and willingness, there is a way. Okay. There is. That makes sense. Um, so that gets we, back to communication again, too, right? A hundred percent. It's all about having an open heart, having great communication with your partner, being playful. I mean, and, and this applies to, you could have a, you know, quadriplegic, I'm just going to be honest, mm-hmm. that has a better sensual, intimate life than a fully abled person with, with, with limit, mental negativity, limitations, victim pathology, um, not great communication, not feeling supported and having their bucket filled by their partner. I mean, there's literally a disability where women, if they don't feel emotionally supported, the, the vagina really won't get wet. Like the vagina is, is connected to the brain and the heart in many ways. And so is the man part. <laughs> I got news for you. They're all connected. <laughs> They're all brain connected. Yeah. You, know, you, you think so, of it from the woman's point of view because you're a woman, but uh, I, I absolutely mm-hmm. believe that, uh, that the strongest uh, sexual organ everybody has is their brain. And if your brain's not engaged, if you're thinking about things, if you're worried about stuff, if you've got, I don't care, man or woman, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be physiological. Right. I think it's mental. Uh, even and, well, here's a, here's a question for man. a future show. That's right. How, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, no, you're right. I was going to say even the most masculine man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen this I've, in real life and, and talking to men that perform well on every level physically in all of their life when they're encountering mm-hmm. a woman intimately, if there's not, it doesn't feel, and, and maybe you can support this. I don't know if it doesn't feel a hundred, like really safe. And, um, and that can mean different things for different people. Uh, mm-hmm. They're unable to, to maybe ejaculate. They can't, or, you know, they're unable to really have a great experience. So agreed. For me, I'm going to say it's the brain and the heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think for guys it's exactly the same. Obviously, we're talking different parts, but I think the result might be the same. And this is something we mm-hmm. should talk about. I mean, especially with the the uh, the rage on ED drugs, you know, erectile dysfunction drugs for guys. I'm wondering how much of the of the medical pharmaceutical industry is capitalizing on what really might be an emotional situation, as opposed and to. It 100 percent is. I mean, and 100 percent. No, I take that with a grain of salt. That was a mm-hmm. you know way of speaking, but. It, it absolutely is, and the science can back that up also. The data backs that up as well as our anecdotal information and our intuition. Mm-hmm. All of that supports 
Absolutely. They used erectile dysfunction drugs. They marketed it, convinced people of what the problem was when in reality it's a multitude of other things, including Mm -hmm. substances in the food, lack of communication, lack of feeling secure and safe in the relationship, um, too much outside stress in the life from income issues. And yes, it's, it's that. And, you know, I mean, there are, there are a few people who probably might benefit from ED, very few who actually would be a good candidate. And if there's any issues can't be solved in a better way, you know, everything's on board yet. They somehow have a physical or hormonal damage, but I think that's very few and far between. ED can be solved or easily dealt with with non-medical approaches in the vast majority of people. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, everything from diabetes to being overweight to, you know, just being unhealthy, you're not exercising, you know, you're, you're, uh, you never get any fresh air, you're sitting all day, you're living, you're living in a stuffy office. I mean, there's just so many things to contribute. I think stress is one of the big ones. But guys have a different conflict. Uh, women, I think, uh, are culturally raised as it's easy to say no because that's your choice. You can say no. This is, this is how we're all, at least we used to be brought up this way. But men are told mm-hmm. that you should always say yes because you're a man. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be able to mm-hmm. do it. And for if any reason a man doesn't want to, now he's not as attracted to the person, but he thinks he's more worried about the fact that, well, his manhood you know, sort of depends on him doing this act with this person that he may not want to. Mm-hmm. So that's stress alone. You know, and then the guy blames himself or the woman might say, well, I guess you, you, you can't do it, huh? No, I just can't do it with you, <laughs> you know, is what the guy's really saying, right? And That's so, right. Or doesn't want to. And so this guys don't talk about this kind of stuff. This is why this is such a valuable hour. This is why I want to bring more men into this discussion because these are the things that the men won't tell you. And so the women think that, uh, you know, the guy doesn't like him, doesn't like it, or of course that might be the case, or that something wrong with the guy just physically and maybe he's stressed. Maybe he's not having a great time. Maybe, maybe this isn't a good relationship, but he feels like he has to because that's what guys do. And there's an expectation that really isn't talked about that should be. And this is something that you might want to talk to, to the women that you know about and see if, if, there, if, there, if this is an issue. Look to the guy. What's going on in his life? What, what's he really feeling? Are you the right partner? Is this what it should I, be? I, Are you stressing out or what? Thankfully, thankfully mm-hmm. I feel like with, with the Internet and with, I guess, more knowledge in the past 20 years, I feel like more women and men are understanding now that, mm-hmm. you know, it's not about you. It's not about that something's wrong with you ladies or something's wrong with him. It's mm-hmm. that, you know, it's either not a good fit energetically. It's not a good fit. I mean, you may be very attractive, but if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. And, and, and his penis is going to respond to that. I think a healthy man, is, I mean, I think maybe, you know, age 17 to 22 or 25 man is different. Usually, I mean, I would say for the most part, they respond very quickly to just, but. Oh, they respond if the temperature horm- goes up five degrees. I mean, they just walk yes. outside. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is great. <clears throat> yeah. So Guys we're not that, talking that about that age. Yeah, yeah we're talking yeah. about a mature man, a man that's mm-hmm. kind of entered real manhood. And um, I think, I feel like most women have an understanding of that on now on some level for sure and mm-hmm. I, you know and again it comes down to communication but i've heard from a lot of men that they've encountered women that they're they think they're physically attracted to like they're like, yeah she was pretty attractive mm-hmm. but i just couldn't it just didn't happen it was just i just wasn't that into so her and i think a lot of men do need they there's do need the that emotional connection 
Yeah, no, but, but that's the subconscious talking to you. So, so guys, you got to listen to your subconscious, not just your conscious mind. Your conscious mind says, yes, I'm a man. This is what I want to do. Yes, this would be a great idea. <laughs> Three drinks later, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but then your subconscious yeah. says, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you back. <laughs> you know? And so this is, there's a, the guys don't really think about their, their conscious and their subconscious. But the subconscious is the one that rules, even if you don't know it. But the you subconscious don't listen, you don't makes really a decision, it. especially, I'm going to say this, especially if you have a spiritual connection and a prayer practice. So the okay. stronger your prayer practice is, because, you know, I believe sexuality is sacred, and there's tons of evidence of this, and this isn't the topic on today's show, but I will say the stronger your devotional prayer practice to whatever your divine source creator's name is and higher light beings, the mm-hmm. more your intuition, you can call it subconscious intuition, whatever you want to call it, comes into play and makes decisions for us because we're on a guided pathway. So if you're not intended to spiritually connect with this other being in sexuality, which is what it is, it's not just a physical connection. It is a soul connection also. It's a, we call it a soul bond or a soul tie. I believe that's very real. And I, I like to off-topic mention it to, to teens and young adults. Um, I don't make it part of my curriculum because it's, it's a value system, but, but in casual conversation, I'll always mention it because I believe it's really important to understand that, that when you have a sexual congress, um, an intimate uh, um, <sighs> penetration, of any of the orifices, I feel, with um, mm-hmm. it is a spiritual connection too. You're making a commitment on a soul level to that person, and I believe that spiritually, our ourselves make choices. And even if you're physically attracted, even the person's cool and you like to hang out with them, if you're not supposed to be with them, if you're not supposed to have a soul con- a soul tie with them sexually, mm-hmm. your body thankfully will let you know. And, and, and with a woman, she'll get that feeling and, and the vagina won't respond and, it, you know, she won't be able to orgasm or she, just this feeling of, of reticence and I shouldn't be doing this. And alcohol will cover that up. I'm not an advocate of drinking because I feel like we make mm-hmm. very poor choices. But in a stone cold sober, if, 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 if your body's not responding to this person, that they're not, you're not supposed to be with them. <laughs> it's not your, somebody you're supposed to mess with. So we need to learn to listen to that you know, yeah. before the, before the fact and teach well, our there might be a relief to factor to too. There, there might be a relief afterwards when you're, you know, at the time you might have cursed your, your subconscious out saying, why are you doing this to me? But in the long run, right. you know, the next day you might go, Oh, I'm really glad I didn't, you know, pursue that further. Uh, and you might still be friends. You might be whatever, but, uh, yeah, subconscious is, is, is amazingly powerful in, in both men and women. And there might be, like I say, you know, if something doesn't happen that you may want to happen, maybe in the long term, you're a lot better off that it didn't, <laughs> you know, for whatever reason. You so are. thank your subconscious and, 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 for and, and, watching and, out for you. Yeah. Absolutely. And that happens in our lives, going through lives, not just sexually, in many different ways. Like, oh, I really want, I really want that something, whatever. I really want that, that house. This house seems perfect for me. You know, I'm buying mm-hmm. a house. It checks all the boxes. Something intuitively is telling me not to, but gosh, it checks all the boxes and everyone says I should get it and, you know, or go to that I mean, there's so many ways, and, and, and we listen to our intuition, and all of a sudden, in the next year following, you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't do that. Like, mm-hmm. um, so practicing strengthening intuition is huge, and I do talk to my kids about that a lot, um, how important that is, that that's more real for me than anything else at this point, data-wise. And if you're worried about hurting someone's feelings, like, you know, you're going to be intimate and then you, your intuition is telling you not to, but now you're in the moment and this is so awkward. And how do I tell this person? You really can frame it in a way that saves their feelings and saves their ego and makes them feel loved, like mm-hmm. more loved than if you had done it. Right. 
And if that person responds in a way that's um, kind of a jerk, like I think a lot of men might have a fear of the ones like, what is wrong with you? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they could say a lot of insulting things. That person's an asshole, and to consider yourself blessed you didn't connect with them any further and that they're not going to be yeah. tied to you anyway. I mean, so I think just being open and honest and saying, you know, I'm just feeling like this isn't the right time for us. I'm really attracted to you. You're beautiful, but I just feel like I wouldn't be honoring you by doing this right now. I feel like we should wait. Um, and uh, I just want to make sure it's the right time. I mean, like, there's a lot of things you can say and that a woman will not feel um, projected. Can I rub your back instead? I'd love to sit here and spend some time with you. Just, you know, and then she can choose how she responds and you'll see who she really is, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you reject somebody, what are your thoughts on that? And, and that goes to guys too. If, if, if a guy's rejected by a woman who has a subconscious, you know, warning and that's is making his body not do something he may want to and he may feel a lot better the next day if she completely rejects him then then you're kind of missing the point i mean you want to look into things but that's communication that's partnership and that gets back to to you know engaging in, in a sacred experience as opposed to just a physical one um I've always wanted to, a couple of things I'm wondering here. I've got a couple of notes here. People with a strong belief in God seem to have better sex. It's just like you were talking about before, that religion, well, not religion, but just spirituality, all the things, it's, it's a part of you. And if you, if you deny that part, and this is why liberals are always miserable. <laughs> I think liberals probably have lousy sex, but that's just, a, that's just a, an observation. But have you noticed anything like that? that, that some of the I 100% agree people... with you. Okay. Yes. So I don't know how much research is on that because I look at it from a tantric perspective more Mm -hmm. but the reason that that movement is so big and it's really gaining so much momentum in the past five to ten years and it's bleeding over into other practices like my sensual movement practice that I do with women is extremely slowing we slow down and that's what tantra is about like slow down prayerful connection gratitude, recognizing that sexuality is sacred, and 100%, Greg, when you make that transformation where you consider your sexuality sacred and you Mm -hmm. offer it and you consecrate your sexual practices to God or whatever you call your divine source, huge changes happen. Like, it's pretty amazing. (laughs) I don't think sexuality can be used to manifest anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. As, like as you can get your that. desires met. Like you can literally take that sexual energy. And in every culture, it seems they have a different version of this. But like in the, hmm. like the Chinese culture, it's qi and jing, you know, um, taking that sexual root chakra energy and you can either um, go super slow and hold on to it and like make the sexual experience last for days with somebody. And I don't mean like you're staying in bed the whole time, but there's something very powerful about that. That is a very fun practice. It's high level. It takes a lot of trust and it takes a lot of, um, but you can literally take that sexual energy and send it upwards. I don't know how to explain this. And you can have your desires met. Like if you're looking for a house together, if you're wanting to take a trip, if you need that extra income, you can choose your sexual energy. It sounds, and I feel like it sounds um, blasphemous to say that, but I, it's, it all goes together. It's not at all. It's Why knowing it that God, I, I think it's, well, it's, it seems the most natural like thing. But shouldn't there always be sexual Christian energy? Who hasn't heard this. Well, a strong Christian who hasn't heard this 
might be oh, okay. very wary because we're, we're told our whole lives since birth how shameful it is and how it's only for this and it's only for this. See, and we just have a sense not, of shame about it. That's, that's a lie. religion as opposed mm-hmm. to God. Yeah, that's it. So what, what yes. God creates is a secret. This is why you should talk to Wendy sometime. Wendy uh, does the Oh My God report. And she's all the time uh, taking religion and priests. And look at the Catholic Church. Uh, the whole thing is based on guilt. And that's not what God intended. And so God intended a secret experience. You know, I said, if God, you know, hadn't intended us to have sex and enjoy it, he wouldn't have made our bodies this way. <laughs> so, you know, there's a reason, you know, there's, uh, and right. so if, if you take this out of it, take the spirituality out. So I say, you, you know, nothing is, is a single experience. You can't have just a physical experience. You better have a, a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. There's four components to any experience, at least. And if then you convince women, memory. Mm-hmm. if you convince women who in my, my belief system, hold the spiritual ascension energy for us mm-hmm. in a nutshell. So I don't agree, system, but that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. The masculine <laughs> feminine energy, the masculine energy is here in the 3d world to protect against um, things. And the feminine energy is here to receive soften and, and, and make sure we spiritually ascend that there is a ton of overlap, but I'm talking about masculine mm-hmm. and feminine energy. And okay. if you convince the feminine energy that, um, that, that, that part of them should be quashed, um, tampered down as shameful, as dirty, should be hidden, should only be used for this and this, and, and in these very strict particular circumstances in this way with this feeling, which is what the messaging is, mm-hmm. you have succeeded. If you're an evil entity, you have succeeded in really lowering and suppressing the whole like humanity's spiritual energy. Um, it, but if you sudden, if women start to realize whew, how sacred their sexuality is and how beautiful and how important and powerful and how to use it wisely and share it generously, um, we cannot, I believe as a people, we cannot be stopped. This, this, the humans on this earth, the power is endless. Mm-hmm. And um, does this make sense? Oh, it does, it. But I think, I think you're leaving out the guys again mm-hmm. because I think male energy and, and men deny themselves when they don't consider themselves sacred. If they think they're just doing a physical act, you know, if you're, if you're guys, mm-hmm. if you're missing the point on this too, uh, there's a huge area of, of overlap. And I, I've talked to women about this and it's fascinating um, that uh, I think one of the biggest things we need to talk about is the, I think the, the lack of involvement in men in things that are spiritual. It's, uh, women think, sometimes I, I get the feeling women think they have a monopoly on spirituality, that uh, they're the sacred no. ones and guys are just guys. And it's just simply not true. Yeah. And guys have not well, fought I, back. I, I, to be honest, yeah. they're, they're not getting in the game. Guys, they're essential. You know. No, men are essential in the spiritual battle. They're, they're absolutely yeah. essential. I will mm-hmm. say this, though. Women give, when the sex is sacred, women are giving energy to men so they can use so they can be uplifted and, and held as they do their work on this earth. This is getting, I know this conversation is getting out there, but I think if we, if we just agree that sexuality is sacred, we share it with each other. There is a masculine mm-hmm. and feminine energy and they both need each other. And oh, when absolutely. you consecrate your sexual acts, you have, you create this unlimited power for yourself. Mm-hmm. It spreads to the people around you. Um, there is something about, um, when when men you know go without ejaculating for a while, that actually creates a lot of of amazing spiritual strength and power. And um, I've had a lot of men I've talked to who practice this that say they end up with these certain, certain abilities that nobody would even believe. And mm. and then you, and then when you do release, you do it in a very intentional way and a very 
um, consecrated way. Anyway, this this topic is when the more we learn about this, uh, the more it's going to turn everything we were, our culture teaches kids and 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 people about sexuality on its head. Like we relied to so very very much, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. No, but if if we can take the guilt out of it and put the spirituality back in. Uh, and this goes for men as well, too, because there's nothing, you know, I don't see any difference in, in that women are more or less sacred than men in terms of sexual energy or any kind of energy. I just think that guys have denied it because uh, and, and society has denied men. You know, it, it goes back to something that I know so long time ago and that uh, women have talked about, you know, all the pro uh, male, the, the, the pro the men's rights people are usually women. They're the ones who are listened to the guys when they speak about it aren't listened to because their opinions are not val- uh, valued. And I see this all the time that whenever any you know, certain topics are valued for women and, and, you know, guys, you know, if we're talking mechanics and sports and race cars and things like that, and a lot of women will say, well, I want to do this too. It's like, great, no problem. But, um, but for men, when it comes to the things that we're talking about here, male opinions are not valued. There is no secret. And it's, it's done by both men and women that do not value the, the, the man's side of this and the energy that we bring. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, what, if women are empowering men through sex and men are empowering women through sex, why else would men and women get married and have great sexual relationships if not to empower each other? Mm-hmm. Isn't, there, isn't there a shared, you know, to say that there isn't a shared strength there, I think is denying uh, your own potential as women. Well, I, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that there isn't a shared strength at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it takes, we know about yin and yang and masculine and feminine. Both are equally mm-hmm. important. Yeah, but I don't see I don't see a compartmentalization. We've talked about this a bunch of times too. But the difference mm-hmm. between sexual, physical, emotional, and spiritual energy—they're uh, all intertwined. They're all the same, and they're all constant. <laughs> you know, they might go up at different down different levels, but all those things are constant all the time. If you have a decent relationship, you've always got uh, a sexual component to it. I don't care if you're just sitting around watching a you know boring old chick flight. Just kidding. But it, there's energy. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I couldn't imagine, you know, being in a, and I'm not in a relationship right now. I'm not, you know, this, well, <laughs> that'd be an interesting topic too. Um, I haven't had the best of luck with them, but I, but I couldn't imagine being in a relationship and not have a constant of physical, emotional, sexual, um, spiritual all the time. It doesn't make sense to me to break those things up. Well, this is ancient, ancient wisdom, Greg. I mean, you know, if you look at like Chinese Taoist, religion, philosophy. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are truths that I believe our modern culture is intentionally kept from us. I always say, it's an, I used to not think things are intentional. I can't help but think it is because when we humans are empowered with all these truths, we mm-hmm. will no longer be in this hierarchical, premarital like, system with the elite on top, period. So it all goes yeah. together. But ancient yeah. Chinese Taoist uh, sexuality was absolutely fundamental to human existence and um, used openly as a, as a form of healing. And um, a path to spiritual balance and what you're saying, all those sides were ab- are absolutely intertwined. They're all dependent on each other. When one is out of balance, they're all out of balance. Yeah. 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 Let me, um, I know you have to go in a minute. I want to play something that's kind of funny. I made a, I made a Christmas greeting during COVID. This is my, my 2020 mm. inspirational period. So it's very sarcastic. Very, it's very Greg. So uh, uh, we'll get, get your contact stuff when you come back. But uh, have a little fun here for, for Christmas. Hello, everyone. It's that time of year again. So here is just a friendly little message from your Action Radio revolutionaries. In preparation for Christmas and New Year's, we have just a few ideas and suggestions to make your holiday complete. 
Granted, these are times of adversity brought about by bureaucrats in what we affectionately call the leftist lockdown orgasmic power trip. But don't let a completely illegal, martial law style abdication and removal of your constitutional rights get in the way of a decent glass of eggnog with friends. After all, six-foot social distancing is a completely false concept for a virus that can linger in the air for hours in aerosol form, can be sneezed well over 200 feet, can travel through an entire 10-story building central air system in a couple of minutes, and goes through a mask like a mosquito through a chain-link fence. So, no matter what you do, everyone is getting exposed sometime. Leaving the healthy people alone accomplishes this in about 10 weeks. So, this should have been done the end of May. Speaking of masks, besides being a violation of your Fourth Amendment rights against seizure of your person, in this case, your face, without due process, the state can't make you wear a mask. So, go home if you're sick, but if not, go free face, as all real Americans are doing, and enjoy the Christmas season. Apparently, there is a deplorable lack of New Year's resolutions this year. Well, I have one. Hmm. To resist. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to restore and rejuvenate that inner rugged individual the left has tried so hard to put behind a mask and lockdown. And I'm going to resist. So, you find a creative way to resist? There's your revolution resolution. Remember, folks, those Twilight Zone episodes where people wore masks? They were supposed to make you think, not make you copy them. Family values should be emphasized this Christmas with the traditions that bind us together. Sit as close as you can at dinner. Remember those wet kisses from Grandma when you were a kid? Engage in spirited debates. Don't forget to use serving dishes where everyone sticks their own personal fork and spoon in, all in the interest of sharing. Remind everyone that closing churches violates the First Amendment. Closing businesses without criminal convictions violates our Fifth Amendment right to life, liberty, and property. And closing schools denies our kids their right to an education. So, you may want to point that out to your governors and mayors this festive season so they understand their transgressions and can repent. I would have suggested you go to New York this year, but quite frankly, they don't have the balls to celebrate New Year's. <laughs> no, really, the ball isn't dropping. Maybe we should rename Times Square Tiananmen Square West. Remember that there are many great gifts you can share this Christmas, particularly AR-15s and AK-47s. Those tend to warm the heart. As we say at Action Radio, world peace through strength. Just remember that everything the government tells you is wrong. So if you want to avoid COVID, don't take the vaccine. Go to the beach instead. Get that sunshine and vitamin D. Stay away from home. Engage in commerce and business. Travel as much as you can. Work out at crowded gyms. Drive extensively, preferably with the windows open. Patronize businesses that are in open rebellion. And resist, resist, resist the doctor dictatorship. In closing, let me just say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy Hanukkah. Muslims, you don't have a holiday at this time, so just go eat Chinese food on Christmas Eve and meet some really nice Jewish folks. Hey, they might be your neighbors. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio. Oh, well. <laughs> I haven't played that for a while. But, uh, I made that a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Merry Christmas, Dorothy. Oh, <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, anyway, contact we covered information. A, oh, we did. Yeah, we covered a, a lot of show. topics today. Yeah, um, I love ending on the Chinese spirituality because, you know, okay. so many of these things we talk about are not new information. They were just 
they've all, it was known before many, many, many years ago. And it's just something about our modern mainstream media and culture um, Mm -hmm. sort of seems to trick us and distract us away from these truths, right? Whether it's health and wellness or sexuality and spirituality, just ways to become amazing, powerful, happy, healthy people. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, there's a reason ancient wisdom is wisdom is because it's been tested over the over the millennia. And, and so to deny that, you know, it's like our education. I think about all the time people spend at work and people waste in school learning stupid stuff and all the commute time, which hopefully, is, you know, as people work at home more, that'll be shortened. But the amount of time that we waste where we could be learning ancient wisdom and learning all these things and trying these spiritual practices and, and getting together with, with real people and instead of, you know, being online all the time. And just learning, you know, real health, alternative health, things that, that actually work as opposed to Western petroleum medicine. It's, it, the, if we could stop wasting as much time on stupid stuff and get back to the, some of these ancient wisdoms and practices and, and ancient knowledge that does work, uh, that will make us a whole lot better off, too. So that's my Christmas wish to everybody. You know, stop wasting time. You know, find a way to, do, to learn the things that uh, people used to know thousands of years ago, and we'll all be a lot better off. On that Agreed. note. Agreed. Yeah. On that note. Yeah. So my Facebook is a great way to get a hold of me, and I try to post things that are relevant to this topic often and frequently, uh, Dorothy Diana. And uh, my website is Dorothy at – no, my website is Yoni Yoon, Y-O-N-I-Y-U-N.com. And you can reach me, Dorothy, at com for email. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's do it again. So we'll have our, our after Christmas show. So our anniversary of, of Blog Talk, four years on the air, is December 24th. So that'll be Saturday. So we'll uh, see. Are you, are you around the 26th or are you like taking off? Uh, you the week started on Christmas, Christmas Eve? Your first, yeah, I did. Your first radio show? Well, I know that that? sounds kind of crazy, but I didn't want to wait till January 1st. That was my original plan. I thought, screw it. I'm going to start now. (laughs) So uh, 2018. A very blessed, blessed energetic day for Mm -hmm. starting something. Yeah. Yeah, a birth. A birth of something beautiful. So that's when we started, December 24th of 2018. It's Christmas Eve. And so uh, I I won't do a Saturday show, but uh, we'll do it on Friday. We'll do uh, the the next best thing. But, yeah, four-year anniversary. Well, it's cool. my kids will be around Monday morning, the 26th. I think that's a Monday, right? The 26th. Uh-huh. They can call in. Yeah, but oh, <laughs> they get embarrassed when they hear what I talk about. They're like, oh, mom. Well, no, uh, it'll be, obviously, it'll be a different show. I don't expect uh, you know minors to listen to some of the stuff that we talk about, but uh, you never know. You know, I actually think that they can hear all of it, and that um, if when we stop, uh, that's another topic, but. <laughs> Well, if, the if the conversation the is form. high, if the yeah. conversation is high vibrational, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's very little they they can't hear about that I think actually damages them. You know, I think we always talk about how to love more, communicate more, and feel better, and move towards pleasure compared and joy. Compared to TikTok, compared to what's out there right now, I don't <laughs> think we damage them at all. Uh, compared oh, to what's, uh, you know, yes. drag time, story time? No, I don't think, uh, I think, uh, you know, if the kids, I always figure if the kids are old enough to understand what we're talking about, they're old enough to, to, to hear it. Well, they're exposed to pornography, usually nine and 10 years old in the U.S. That's the average age, yeah. and everyone hears that and says, not my kid. Well, you'd be surprised. You think mm-hmm. that, you know, yeah. so yeah. pornography, one of the most damaging, low vibrational, um, traumatic things that children be exposed to. So conversations about healthy sexuality and how, how people with disabilities can enjoy each other and how partners can communicate. And, you know, even some of the things that get into, I, I, you know, they overhear it 
it's okay. <laughs> no. I want to talk about disability too. I've got a question on that, but we'll do that next time um, after Christmas. Thank you for being on the show. I love having you on. I love our discussions. I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd have a sex and sensuality report on a basically political you know, show. <laughs> but this is great. I love that it, you're doing it. It's a great like, like you said, it all goes together. It's all connected yeah. in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything is. Yeah. Mm. That's what makes it. Uh, all right. Well, hugs life, to life's you. so fascinating. Best to you, too. Yeah, it's care. so beautiful and a miracle. Hugs to you. Merry Christmas. I'm grateful for you, and I'm excited for next week's topic. Anything that comes up, send me a little message if there's something on your mind. Otherwise, I'll be keeping my ear to the ground with my group, and we'll have another great talk. Sounds good. Thanks, Dorothy. No, I love having you on the show. It's <laughs> great. And Merry Christmas to you and yours. There Bye-bye. we go. Bye now. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news, we are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. All right, Warren's been patiently waiting, so let's make his line live, and we can talk a little economics again like we did in the first hour. But uh, that's my promo. So uh, it has all the cliches of the show. I put them into one place and found a nice little surf track uh, that I could put them on. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Warren, I haven't talked to you about this, but do you do a lot of production stuff? Do you have your Adobe Audition or or, uh, whatever the other one is and and make stuff? Uh, In respect to what? Well, I don't know. Do you do little productions like I do? <laughs> no, what I basically do, no, uh-huh. basically what I do is I download things from YouTube, like music or uh, audio that I use for, you know, any audio I want to use in my shows. I just download stuff from YouTube and, uh, you know, save it on my, my hard drive and then just upload it whenever I need it. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't know I could do that. I, I, let's say I make my own and uh, use like like non copyright music. So anything you hear on the show as far as music is is you know non copyright. So I don't have any problems there. Okay. Well, let's talk economics. What did what did you find interesting about my Robert Reich piece? Were you surprised that I would read such a liberal article on a on a show that makes conservatives look like liberals? <laughs> I'm way to the right of the conservatives. Yeah, well, what I think, you think what was important. Yeah, what was mm-hmm. important about what you were reading is you were. Uh, getting people to focus on how workers are exploited by the corporate elite and how profits, corporate elite's motivation is solely profits. And uh, that that's an important theme that we all should be concerned about uh, in America. Uh, when we look at the COVID period, the height of the COVID period mm-hmm. from 20. 20- Pointed to now. In fact, I wrote this. This is a fact I wrote down here just the other day. I copied this. Uh, it's from the Institute for Policy Studies. Uh-huh. It says $4.48 trillion is the combined wealth of 728 
U.S. billionaires as of November 2020. So $1.5 trillion increase from mid-March 2020 to now. So these people made a profit during COVID. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, the, pharmace- the pharmaceutical industry made incredible profits. Big tech made profits because they were invested in it. And everybody any, and people in Congress, anybody that had the inside track made billions. But COVID wasn't the problem. The problem was the government uh, action that using COVID as an excuse. I want to clear up something. When I talk about, you know, the concentration of wealth, I'm talking about where the government policy actually allows, you know, the very top. We're talking about the top. Remember the 99 percent and the 1 percent that allows the top 1 percent. And that includes the Federal Reserve. The people in the Federal Reserve, the, the, the banks, the corporations, the government people, the very top, you know, they're the ones who are concentrating the wealth. And when I talk about workers, I'm not talking about just people on the assembly lines or, or the, the blue collar folks. I'm talking about management, middle management, upper management. You know, I mean, anybody that's, that's working, uh, unless you're way up at the very top, you know, levels, the billionaire level, you know, those are the folks that are, are, are using government policy um, to concentrate wealth. And that's wrong. If we actually had a free market, that wouldn't happen. So one more point. The the distinction that I make is I don't care about about billionaires. I don't care about really, really rich people. I am not envious of them. Yes, I want a few things for myself, but I'll earn that. What my problem is, is a government rigging of the system so that the concentration of wealth, you know, illegally, unconstitutionally, uh, and and not through a free market is concentrated people. If they earn it on their own, I don't care. But that's not what's happening. Uh Here's what you're missing in your analysis. There is a connection between the uh, what we call the elite and government. The elite mm-hmm. have purchased government. So when we see politicians mm-hmm. who need to go to these people for their campaign for campaign contributions, they are lobbying for these special interest uh, capitalist industries. All of them are on both sides of the political aisle. So sometimes I hear you guys, you talk as if government is separate from this wealthy class, but the wealthy class is embedded in government with their combined wealth and power and influence. All of these entities... Yeah. No, I talk about the deep state. I mean, I talk about deep state. It's a corporate government. This is the definition of fascism. You just described fascism, which is is emerging government and corporate into a totalitarian dictatorship, you know, where they control everything, you know, at the expense of the people and uh, against individual rights and everything else. So that's that's the problem. Corporate government merging. So I agree with you there. Now, look at military spending. The, Mm -hmm. The House just passed. Uh, 800 and something billion dollars, almost a trillion dollars for defense. Mm-hmm. That's an example of taxpayers' dollars, as we call it, being used to funnel into the coffers. Because in military spending, you have mm-hmm. defense contractors, you have weapons manufacturers, mm-hmm. and when you look at the well, money that they say is going to Ukraine, that money mm-hmm. is being filtered back into the hands of American corporate elite. That's well, a money laundering. <clears throat> no, the Ukraine's nothing but a money laundering. It goes to corporations and it goes to, uh, to government people. So I think you're absolutely right there. But let's talk about defense for a minute because it's an interesting topic. I don't know if we've, we've covered this. But if you had to pick the, the – the, how, how do you define our defense priorities? Because obviously we have to defend the nation. But in, in defending the nation, what, what, how would you do that? How would you structure a defense? What are your priorities? Well, well, first of all, nobody's trying to invade the United States. 
militarily. Nobody. That's, that's, that's what owners. American people are. <laughs> huh? Actually, our, our gun owners are our, our greatest defense, actually, because nobody can invade this country and live. They're not going to. We're simply not going to allow right, it. But what I'm saying, uh-huh. what I'm saying Americans, Americans have always been given the boogeyman speech. They're out hmm. to get us. And so that, that creates uh, complacency mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and, and actual approval to stimulate. So basically what American military uh, does is used to invade other countries, regime change. Because uh, that's all and, wrong. Well, let's go through the wars. I want, I want to play an interesting experiment with you. Let's go from World War I to present day. So tell me whether you, would, you favored our involvement or you did not. Let's go to World War I. Did you think we should be involved, should have been involved in World War I? Well, you know, those wars, I'm still studying and researching because there's okay. always just, hidden factors. Look, there are always now, just, hidden all right, Speculate, about... speculate, humor me, humor me, take a guess. Did we, should uh-huh. we have been in World War I, which is mostly a European war, Western Front, Eastern Front, basically the Western Front? Did no, I don't, I don't think America should have been, I don't think America should have been in any of the wars, no. Okay. Well, and, well, let's, and, let's and, talk about that, okay, because I agree with you. On World War I, I think there was no business, we had no business in World War I, and because we beat the Germans, that actually created World War II. Uh, along with the depression. So let's talk World War II. So Pearl Harbor has been attacked. You know, do we go to war for unconditional surrender or was there another option? What do you think? Well, there's speculation about that attack on Pearl Harbor, how that was yeah. put together. And I covered what that. What the circumstances yeah. behind that? Yeah, no, I actually covered that and, and said that see, we, see, we here's, knew. See, here's, here's, I, I took the position the we knew. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, here's the, here's the issue. To what degree things are coordinated to justify U.S. involvement militarily, mm-hmm. you see, just like the the uh, the USS Maine that exploded in Cuba. See, yeah, there's, there's discussions that that U.S. people themselves may have blown that up. Wouldn't surprise me. I think they, I think it our government blew up the Nord Stream yeah. pipeline in in uh, you know the the Russian uh, European pipeline. Yeah, that's that's yeah that's evidence. Yeah, that's 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 kind of all all evidence mm-hmm. leads to U.K. and the U.S. Uh, being complicit in this. Well, they need to demonize Russia to perpetuate the Ukraine war. Well, I have something I call the permanent war class. See if, see if this makes sense to you, Warren. The, the permanent war class is a mixture of government, bank, uh, and military uh, contractors uh, like Boeing and uh, Northrop and, and Grumman and those kind of folks. And, and what they do is they work together to maintain a war somewhere. It's a permanent war. So we always have to be mm-hmm. at war at somewhere, and everybody benefits. Mm-hmm. Ukraine, the Ukraine war, mm-hmm. uh, that our, our corporate elites, our government elites, uh, are benefit. And, and the bankers are benefiting hugely by that, but there's no reason for us to be involved. In fact, Ukraine shouldn't be part of NATO. It's a, it's a Eastern European Russian problem. It has nothing to do with us. So, mm-hmm. so that's what happened. And see, Afghanistan, when Afghanistan ended, you notice we went to Ukraine right away. That's the permanent war class. So mm-hmm. I, didn't believe, I don't mm-hmm. believe it should be in Ukraine. I never supported uh, Afghanistan. I never supported either of the Iraq wars. <laughs> Those made no sense to me whatsoever. I didn't support Vietnam. I didn't support Korea. And I haven't supported most of the military actions this country has. The only one I did support was, was uh, after Pearl Harbor. Yeah, we, could, we should have destroyed the Japanese fleet. But I didn't think we had to destroy the Japanese nation. See, I've never understood World War II. Because if you look at the, uh, uh, the battles that were fought in the Pacific Island hopping, slaughtering untold mm-hmm. thousands of, of our soldiers and their soldiers? What? All we had to do was cut the supply lines. You know, there was, there was different ways to handle that. Did we need the atomic bomb? Only if you go for unconditional surrender. But what if that wasn't the object? What if the object was mm-hmm. for Pearl Harbor, have a response in kind, maybe a little more, you know, destroy the fleet, destroy the Japanese Navy? What if we just destroyed the Japanese Navy? 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's interesting things to speculate. Okay, we can, we can probably do that all day. But the point is that we do wars that we don't have to. There is a permanent war class. <clears throat> we, have defend, we have bases all over the world. Why do we have bases in Europe? Let them defend themselves. They don't need us. So you want to cut back on, on, on the military budget? That's how you do it. You get rid of the foreign bases. You get rid of stupid pork barrel projects like the F-35. You get rid of aircraft carriers because they're already obsolete because of missiles. We could save a ton. But here's the real irony, mm-hmm. Warren, this is the sad part, that the interest on the national debt is, is equal to or will soon exceed the entire military budget. That's a problem. And that's wasted money. That goes for nothing. Your turn. But, you know, you know, we talk about the national debt, but in essence, the United States doesn't have to pay the debt to anybody. That's the, that's the benefit of being a military power. Is that's that not true. At the end of... At the end of the game, you don't have – who's going to make you pay? Who's going to make you uh, pay the debt? You see, the, now the concern should be for Americans is the de-dollarization of the American – of the world economy. The, there are countries who are moving away from the dollar as the base currency for transactions among themselves. Mm-hmm. So we see Russia, we see China, we see Saudi Arabia – they're creating, and, and what has expedited this is the sanction, are the sanctions that the U.S. and the EU have placed on Russia, and they have confiscated hundreds of billions of dollars of Russia's money. So other countries are saying, now, wait a minute. If they can do this to Russia, then they definitely can do this to us. So they're working, these other countries are working with themselves to create an alternative currency to trade. That's going to, over time, have a big impact on the weakening of the dollar. I think you're bringing a couple of different issues. Um, the sanctions I want to talk about separately, but when you talk about D-dollar, in other words, the United States, our, our dollar is not the reserve currency. And then you mentioned earlier about the fact that we don't have to pay our debt back. Actually, we do. And the reason we have to pay it back is to maintain the dollar. You know, if we don't pay our debts, then nobody's going to invest in us. Nobody's going to buy our products. Our money becomes worthless. And then you get, you know, hyperinflation it, it as they try and print money. So I don't think it's happening now, Greg. Well, oh, I know that. Yeah. But what I'm saying is I don't, yeah, but you can't separate the two. You can't say that we can't pay our bills. You, see, you can't say that we you, can't pay our debt because without, you, you, if we don't pay our bills back, so we, we do, other, we'll have no credit rating. We'll have no standing let, in the economy. Let, 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 the dollar will be worthless. Yeah, go ahead. Let, 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 me share you, let me share with you what has happened huh? in the situation with Ukraine. When the United States uh, influenced the European Union to sanction Russia, mm-hmm. that is devastating European economies. Hmm. Even the euro, we used to always be stronger than the dollar, it's about par going below the dollar. So what is the, yeah, that's what is the United States strategy? What is the well, United States strategy here? Let me make my point. What no, has been ahead. the United States strategy here using Ukraine as a battering ram against Russia? The United States wanted to ultimately bring the European Union under heel because the European Union was a potential competing threat to the U.S. by trading with Russia and China. So by filling the European economy, by encouraging them or forcing them to put sanctions against a logical, natural trading partner where they got cheap fuel from, Russia, now we see 
the economies are tanking. Germany, which was an industrial powerhouse, some of those industries will relocate to the United States. So the U.S., in essence, is, in, is de-industrializing Europe. Now, the U.S. benefits from that. So the dollar is still in play, but the euro is going down the tube, you see. Yeah, and I think so, the euro is going down the tubes for different reasons. I think uh, they're spending too much like we are. It's directly uh, related hold on. to hold on, hold on. against no. Russia. Yes, here's the thing, though. Europe has traded with Russia for, for a long time. Uh, obviously, they, they trade energy back and forth. Russia only has energy. They don't have a lot to sell. Ukraine has wheat. That's, That's why true. the flag is, is blue on top for sky and yellow for wheat. Russia got but fertilizer? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, <laughs> let me get a chance here. But, the thing, but I don't see it the same way you do. I don't think the United States is so powerful and Europe is so weak. Europeans have screwed their own economy. They screwed their energy. They've gone for this green energy nonsense. They've overextended. They've let in just millions upon millions of people. They have an open border situation. So they've, they've got all kinds of folks that are not, you know, have no interest in being citizens of the country that they're walking into. Uh, you've got all, Europe has its own problems. You know, they've devalued the euro. Euro used to be like 2.3. It was like $2.30 for a euro. I remember when the euro first came out. But they devalued. Most countries devalue their currency to make their goods more attractive to other countries. Well, as the world keeps devaluing their currencies, there's only so much you can devalue, and then it's worthless. And that's, that's, you know, that's where a lot of these places are heading. We're not there yet. But I don't see the same connection. I don't think the United States has that much control over Europe. Europe's pretty strong. Europe's got a lot of money. No, no, you, know, you can buy Germany, France, true. Spain, and England and, and some of the bigger countries there. You know, you've got a lot of power. You've got power in Poland and Romania and Hungary, and some of the Eastern European countries are growing, too. That's a big block of trade. You know, well, I mean, the, where the, listen, look at the, where the world's financial centers. You've got, you've got London. You've got New York. You've got Tokyo. You know, Sydney, Australia. Those are the, those are the big – and the Middle East, Bahrain or Dubai. You know, so the, the world's money is spread out quite a bit. It's not all the United States. I don't think we're as powerful as you, as you make this country out to be. Especially over European policy, oh, they did it to themselves. Definitely, when you look at when you look at all of these world economic organizations, the IMF, the World Bank, uh, uh-huh. the uh, the World Trade, the United States holds considerable power in those institutions. And when you look at, for example, Europe, the United States has military bases in Germany. The United uh-huh. States does is the big brother of Europe. They, no. have, the European countries, they take our money the European go. countries have been, the European countries have listened to the United States in breaking with Russia, and they're suffering as a result of it. Germany benefits from our bases because they take all our money, all of our, uh, all the expenditures there, personal from the soldiers, plus uh, the base itself. They make a fortune off us. That, the fact that a, we defend, you, hold on, hold on, hold on. The fact that we defend Germany has allowed them to not have to defend themselves. See, that's the problem. See, I would pull out of NATO. I would pull out of the IMF. I'd pull out of the UN. I'd move them to Geneva or, or Brussels, where everything else seems to locate. Get it out, get them out of the United States because we should not be funding NATO. We should not be interfering in European affairs. Let them do it themselves. And, and as you say, if you think we're the big brother, I would pull out for monetary reasons and the fact that they can take care of themselves. You'd pull out because you, because you think that the United States is acting as a big brother. But we both agree that we should not be in Europe. We should not have bases in Europe. There's no reason to. If we need to be there, we'll share a base with one of their countries. But we do not need to have bases, American bases in Europe. But see, Greg, you, you, you don't understand the goal and objective of no, I, I understand. I just disagree with you. There's a difference. The, the, the objective of capitalism 
is mm-hmm. ultimately to control everything on the planet, control every country and their resources. Because capital needs capital needs more things to exploit. It has to expand. No, it doesn't. Well, it has to. Okay, wait, 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 wait. This is this is a really important point. Let's talk about capitalism for a minute. So you you see it as 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 taking over the world. See, I see Marxism, just the opposite, communism, as trying to take over the world because they are dependent on basically being like locusts and raping other countries and taking all their money and taking other people and taking all the productivity. That's what allows communism to flourish. That's why they have to invade other countries. But capitalism—that's actually a word that, that Karl Marx created. I don't like it. I'd rather because it, it sounds it, it, it's actually to make uh, a derogatory statement of what we call a free market. So a free market, individuals making choices, individuals earning their own money, individuals accumulating property, that's what the economy is supposed to be based on. Okay? And let, as people let, accumulate let capital, they can do more things with it. But that's not a bad system. That's actually the greatest system of freedom. Let, let me, let me explain ahead. something. If you read Adam Smith's Go ahead, explain. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, work, these terms like free market have been twisted. What, what economists have done over the last 50 years, they've twisted the free market myth, free from the rentier class. That's the elite class of people who don't work and just make money off what we call rent extraction, not only owning property and owning mm-hmm. other financial mechanisms. That's what free market meant, free from that class. Not, no, that's not free true. from government, not no, no, free no, no, from no. government uh, control. No, no, see, a free market that, is, is, is independent of government. So if you're worried about people I, that I'm, live I'm telling off... You, but I'm well, telling you when in terms... Yeah, okay, but, yeah, but all right. The, yeah, don't treat me like I'm an idiot. <laughs> I do know these terms, too. There's a difference between disagreeing and not understanding. I think uh, we're missing that point. But when, you talk, when I talk about a free market, a free market is free from government, which means no subsidies, no corporate welfare, no channeling of, of, uh, of wealth to the federal government through inflation and to the Fed. The Fed shouldn't exist. They shouldn't own uh, anything. The fact that the Fed has investments, I'm going to learn more about it because that's kind of new to me. But a, a true free market, and that's what it's supposed to be. There's no subsidies. There's no government interference in that free market. Now, some people, yes, they're going to accumulate property. They're going to work harder. You, know, you don't have equity, but you have, but you have freedom. There's a difference. Okay? Equity is where everybody's forced to be the same. Freedom is where individuals will rise. And if someone's making money, if you've got a trust fund baby today, that means that somebody, either the generation before or before that, made the money. They actually worked for it. Okay? Money doesn't come from nothing. So if people have money, well, then, so they saved it in their family. That's the way it works. That's a free market, but that's not a bad thing. In, it, in, Europe, in, in Europe, okay, you had a feudal class. They owned all the land. They didn't work. They owned the land. They mm-hmm. extracted rent, mm-hmm. and people were therefore indebted. So mm-hmm. their economic system, classic economics, as it was developed, was was a way to fight against that class of elite people who only made money by extracting rent. What economists have done years later was to take these terms and change the meaning of these terms. Now, let me fast forward to the United States. Mm-hmm. You've always had a contending duel between finance capitalism and industrial capitalism. Industrial capitalism invests in things, workers, buildings, plants, so on and so forth. Finance capitalism doesn't do that. It just plays with money, the markets. When the finance capitalism became successful over 
industrial capitalism in the United States, that's when we started seeing factories and plants shipped overseas. The only capitalist system we have now in the United States is finance capitalism. That's what we call the fire sector, finance, insurance, real estate. So when we look at the 2007 to 2008 banking debacle where the government bailed them out, okay, this is what you have now in America. So in order for capitalism to survive, it needs more markets of people to exploit. This is why there's this contention against Russia and China, because they're massive countries, Russia with tremendous amount of natural resources, but because Russia, under Putin in particular, does not allow the West to come in and to privatize their resources in their state-owned assets, that's why you become an enemy to the West when you don't allow them to come in and take your stuff. That's what yeah, the propaganda kicks in. No, I think you're completely wrong. First of all, Russia is an independent country. Uh, they sell oil. They make money. You know, if Russia was, wasn't such a, a communist <laughs> socialist you know. country, but my turn. Warren, my turn. Uh, if they were such a communist socialist country, they'd have a much more productive economy. You know, if China wasn't such a communist dictatorship, they'd have a lot more productive economy. But their production, the economy, Warren, Greg, the Chinese on, economy grows grows three percent every year. They've been doing this for quite some time. Yeah, and it grew eight percent under Trump. Or you know, I mean, it's just it, it's, it's a different thing. Freedom always outproduces communism. It just always does. Um, you, you 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 think of communism. You think of the economy as a zero sum game. And this is this is a I think a, a flaw in the logic of uh, uh, of what you're talking about. In other words, you know, capitalism, as you say, cannot gain unless somebody else loses. Well, that's not true. That's not how wealth works. That's not how wealth is created. So, so if you want to create wealth in this country, freedom is the best way to do it. The, the greatest freedom brings about the greatest wealth for the greatest number. Look at the middle class when we had a low tax system, when we had, you know, look at the 50s where you had, you know, uh, one person uh, working and, and one with the kids. Now, nowadays we'd be much more modern and say it doesn't have to be the man working and the woman with the kids. But the point is that you could survive on one income. You know, the tax rates were low enough that one income could support a spouse and a couple of kids and a couple, I'm not done yet, and a couple of cars, you know, and that was, that was where we had big middle class. The problem is that the middle class got destroyed by higher taxes and a bunch of other programs that, that funneled wealth through a lack of capitalism, not because of capitalism, but a lack of capitalism, no, a let, lack let, of free market let, let me see to, let me see to the, the concentration of wealth. See, that's the problem. Okay. Let, let, let me so freedom works. Communism doesn't. Go ahead. Let me see this. You, you, you're kind of confused. No, I'm not. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me share with you. The goals of the true capitalist class is to be able to do whatever it wants to do. So one uh-huh. of the things it doesn't want to do is pay taxes. That class doesn't want to pay taxes. Oh, nobody wants to pay taxes. Now, when, when, when America's manufacturing sector was shipped away by this class, by wait, this wait, 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 class. Wait, 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 wait. Why, why would the capitalists ship away the manufacturing base? That doesn't make any sense. No, it does because no, you don't doesn't. have to invest in – yes, it does. You don't have to invest in workers. You don't have to invest in wages. 
You don't have to deal with unions. Well, wait a minute, wait okay. a minute. They did when, when, Trump was in, was, when Trump was in office, there was so much productive capital coming in because the taxes were low and they got rid of the stupid regulations. That's what caused the huge boom under Trump. It also caused a huge boom under Reagan. We've had amazingly productive economies when you get out of the way of capitalism, as you say, or the free market. It's the lack of government true. that improves it. That's it is called, true. That's called true. under Reagan, the Reagan issue – the Reagan era issued in what is called neoliberal economic policy. Ooh, what's that? Okay. And so, therefore, the neoliberal economic policy means austerity. In other words, if the public sector, if the government has entitlement programs, such as Social Security, such as Medicare. Social Security is not entitlement. We we pay into it. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me finish, Greg, because I'm, 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 I'm giving you an accurate analysis. Would you giving me a talking points that don't make sense? Oh, so what you're, you're saying is logical and what I'm saying is that not, valid? You're giving me you, talking points. You're giving me talking points that are not rooted right. in analysis. No, nah, they are rooted in analysis. Okay. I just give you the analysis, too. But, uh, you know, liberal, stay away from that. Stay away from the my opinion neo- doesn't count, yours does. I mean, let's, let's just talk no, about well, the issues. Because, because, because what, you, what you're just saying is talking points that avoid any context and analysis. No, that's not true. You, right. you, you, you've totally missed my point. Either you don't understand what I'm saying or you don't accept it and, you, and you're criticizing I, I that my opinion you, isn't valid. I, I, saying my opinion I, I isn't valid is not saying. an argument. Okay. I hear what you're saying, but a lot of what you're saying, you're contradicting yourself. No, I'm not. Okay? Not at all. So neoliberal economic policy basically means the people on the ground have to bear the brunt of something called austerity. In other words, the people pay the cost, and the elite class continue to profit and benefit at the expense of the people on the ground. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's stop for a second. Let's go back to the Trump administration when you had, you know, huge amounts of people, especially black and Hispanic populations in this country, were making, you know, money like never before. You had freedom. You had industrial growth. You had financial growth. You had people buying homes. We had a great economy. I'm not done. I'm not done. Hold on. The cost of energy was low. We had a fabulous economic situation and everybody improved. So the free market benefited the greatest number of people. Now we have a situation of high tax high inflation, high, you know, high energy costs, and everybody's suffering. So you can't – it's the government that's causing the problem. You think of the government as the cure, but the government is really the problem here by screwing around <laughs> with the economy and taking away our free market. That worked under Trump, and that's yeah, real. That's yeah. actual evidence and analysis. Yeah, you see what, you're, see what you're doing is you're, you're throwing out talking points that's void of any see, that's analysis. Not, that's, not a valid, that's not a valid argument, Warren. You can't say I'm throwing out talking points. That's like saying if I said your opinion doesn't count. That's not valid. You're not dealing with what you're, I'm saying. You're, you're, you're just dismissing you what I'm saying. When what I'm saying is perfectly valid. So you see, that's not that's not a way we can discuss this and, and come to an understanding. You can't just well, invalidate what just, I say by, by saying it's a talking let, point because it's not. Let, let, let me say this to you, you all conservatives. You cannot, on the one hand, condemn the government and not see the connection of the wealthy classes' influence and control of the government. And then on the other end, be concerned about the people paying high taxes. Okay, the 
Air wait, 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 hold on. No, no, let's, let's go through that. Let's, let's think about that for a minute. First of all, if you listen to my show at all, you know that I condemn both parties. I condemn both parties as being rich elitists operating a fascist system. In other words, the merging of corporate and government uh, for the purpose of benefiting a rich elite at the top and screwing everybody else. I've said that. You know, but the Democrats are doing that, you know, uh, more than anybody else. They're the ones who have the, the Lehman Brothers and the Goldman Sachs, and they have the connections. They're the ones who do the insider trading. I mean, the Republicans do. I mean, everybody does it in Washington. So, it, it's, uh, so what you're saying, that, that my analysis is inaccurate, is, is completely false. My, my analysis is right on. That when you have a free market, prosperity goes to everybody. When you restrict it to the elites, which is what's, what's happening right now under the Brandon insurrection, that's where you have the concentration of wealth. And you can see it happening. Okay, let me go to another example. See if I can. Oh, please do. Let's go to Ron. De, let's go to Ron DeSantis. Okay. Okay. Yep. Uh, Ron DeSantis made a threat to Disney World in that district. They have a what? Special what? Threatening the special privilege? They're, they're, they're no, priv- me, the special let, privilege let, there? Is that what you're saying? Let, let, go ahead. Let me let me finish. What is that name okay. of that district called? Something Creek. Something Creek in that Disney World district. What is that called? I don't know, but they get they get a bunch of free taxes and benefits. That's corporate I'm gonna welfare. I'm gonna show you, I'm a, but I'm gonna it's show you how Ron welfare. DeSantis. But I'm gonna show you how that class is bringing Ron DeSantis to heel. Oh, see, he's backed off. He's backed off of those threats. Let me tell you why he backed over those. So you support off corporate welfare. So you support well, corporate welfare minute. for Disneyland. Uh, let me, is that let me, what you're let saying? Let me tell you why. No, I'm telling you. The, I'm telling you the power of the corporate class over even the most what you call a uh, person who appears to be. To, with the people like DeSantis, how he himself could be brought under control by this carpet class. Now, Disney World employs quite a lot of people in the state of Florida, and mm-hmm. the tax bill that they uh, contribute to is a billion dollars. Now, if you was to change their tax status, that means the people in that district were going to have to bear the brunt of paying those taxes in that community. So no, they, just might, have to, they might have to spend less. Maybe they'll spend less. No, See, the money no, goes to, to pay, well, no, is this no, because Disney World, Disney tax? World. On, Question. Does, war, does Disney World pay local tax or do they pay state tax? Because if it's state tax, it goes to all Disney, the citizens Disney, of Florida. Disney World goes, contributes to the tax base of that community. And if okay. you was to change their tax, if you were to change their status as DeSantis threatened, mm-hmm. then the people would have to bear the brunt of that amount. No, I don't see their that. Their taxes would go up. Their taxes would go up. Yeah, see, that's now, that zero-sum so game again. It, it so DeSantis has backed down from his position mm-hmm. on yes, Disney World because mm-hmm. reality is finished. So it shows you how even a politician who oh, has wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. populist appeal. Yeah. If you said that corporate power is doing this, that's not a, that's an artificial situation. That's not reality. That's not economic forces. So, and again, you go back to the zero sum game. If Disney World doesn't pay the same amount of tax, then then everybody else has to. That's not true. So the people that pay taxes are independent. They are assessed at the tax rate for their home and how much they spend on on stuff with their sales tax, and they're assessed on different taxes and their income tax. Okay, that is independent of Disney World. What Disney World got was a special economic district and a special benefit of corporate welfare. You complain about corporate welfare? Disney World is like the ultimate corporate welfare. They had a special district where they probably weren't even paying taxes at all. So all Ron DeSantis was doing was having them pay their fair share, to put it in, in liberal language. That's what he was doing. 
And so if the corporations can get their corporate welfare back, that should, and I agree with you, that shows how powerful the corporations are. But again, I've told you, there's a corporate, merge, there's a corporate government merging. Now, in this case, John, John, Ron DeSantis was right. There's no reason for Disney World to get a special corporate welfare exemption to paying taxes. Which, you know, and so, uh, but it's separate than the individuals in that district. They're not, their taxes aren't going to change because it's not a zero-sum game. It's not, a, it's not a zero-sum. It goes to the state, and it doesn't matter. If a corporation pays more tax or less tax, that doesn't affect the people that live around the corporation. That doesn't make sense. They're separate entities. Go ahead. Look, th- this is an article uh, here. It's entitled, Florida Mall's Reversal of Disney's Special Tax District Revocation. Okay. Uh well, special, I just said it right there, it's special. It's a special tax district. So do you believe in corporate right. welfare? Do you believe in corporate welfare? But, but this do you is believe? To, Answer the question. No, do you I don't, in I don't believe in corporate I don't believe in then corporate how can you welfare. Support, but the, then how can you support this? No, how can you support this special I'm district? Not making, no, 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 I'm not making – I haven't told you a judgment on anything. What I'm trying oh, okay. to prove – the point I'm trying to prove that you are over, talking over me is that the <laughs> power of corporate – uh, of corporate power can heal in even a populist politician. Oh, I agree. Okay. No, I agree so, with you there. Uh, and that's part of the problem. You know, so, they shouldn't have that kind of political power. So they are actually backing off from their attempt to intimidate business. But why? Because at the end of the day, you got jobs. It employs a whole lot of people in the state of Florida. You have mm-hmm. the actual district, the actual district where Disney World sits those people pay less taxes because of that corporation being there. Okay. How do you know now, that? You say, wait, 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 wait. wait, well, wait. So, the, so, the, so the county that the Disney World is in, have you checked the tax rates? Do the people, <clears throat> do they have lower housing? Do they have lower property tax? Do they have a lower sales tax in that district? If you, do, if they, you what, revolt, do they have a lower income tax? What, what, what tax is lower? Okay, if you would revoke the special tax because you got to understand there are other things that Wait a minute, are you, are you calling for uh, <laughs> are you calling for people to pay more taxes now? I mean this is kind of interesting. No, 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 Greg. Greg, I'm trying to just give an explanation and you just interrupting, you're throwing in cliches, you're throwing in talking points. Facts, and I can't evidence, get a good analysis. Logical I can't arguments. even complete I can't even complete the thought because you're just interrupting. That's not true. I'm trying, and that's what. Well, where are we going with this anyway? Where, 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 where are we going with this? What we going, where we going with this is mm-hmm. that you all make a distinction between government and the business class. I'm telling you, the business class controls the polit- They control the politicians. They purchase them. They pay for their campaigns. So therefore, the politicians become de facto lobbyists for the corporations. Mm-hmm. Which makes it any free market, which goes back to my original point. If we had a free market, you wouldn't have that connection because they wouldn't be able to. So you <laughs> well, just made my argument the reality is, The reality is, Greg, if you want to run a successful or a robust campaign as a Senate candidate or mm-hmm. congressional for a congressional seat, you've got to have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, here's a question for you. And here's, so, here's, therefore, here's you have question. to go. Let me, let, me, let, me, yeah. let me change the subject a little bit because we, we I, I know what you're going to say. We can hash this to death. My plan would be to uh, not allow anybody to belong to a party during the time that they're running for a legislative office uh, or the time that they're serving. 
I want to get parties out of politics. I think parties are one of the biggest problems because what happens with both parties is that once a member goes to the House or the Senate and Congress, they don't represent their district or their state anymore. They represent their party, and the party tells them how to vote. You look at what's going on right now. We've got a $1.7 trillion stupid, ridiculous inflation-causing bill that's about to hit Congress. Both the, 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 the gelding GOP, as I call them, the gelding old party, and the Democrat Marxists are for it. They're both for a completely uh, government intervention into the marketplace. It's going to cause more inflation. It's going to be horrible. They're both doing it. But if people didn't belong to parties, then they wouldn't have that, that lockstep you know, vote uh, on both their parties to, to be able to do what they're doing. The leadership would not control Congress because the leadership, there wouldn't be a leadership because there wouldn't be parties. That's my solution. Can, can I read something to you? Can I read something to sure. you, Greg? Can yeah, I read okay, something to you, article? 13 minutes left. Right. Okay, I'm, yeah. I, I'm, 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 I'm jumping around this article. It says, uh, let me start right here. Okay, Disney, in addition to paying property taxes to Orange and Osceola counties, pays taxes directly to Reedy Creek. That's the district that Disney is in, Reedy Creek. In turn, the district uses that money to fund Disney's various theme park projects and operations, including infrastructure upkeep. That means Disney controls all of its utilities and infrastructure, sets building codes, operates its own police and fire departments, and can expand and grow whenever it wishes, all without local, local or state government interference. But here's the thing. The That's arrangement insane. also comes <laughs> with, but here's the thing. Yeah. But here's the thing. The arrangement also comes with certain tax advantages as Reedy Creek can issue tax-free municipal bonds to finance certain projects. Quote, I well, call it a Vatican. Okay, but issue tax-free municipal bonds. The bill from DeSantis would strip Disney of that immense control and flexibility in addition to throwing Reedy Creek's $997 million worth of bond debt and some $163 million in annual tax payments into question. Those payments could fall on the citizens of the surrounding counties who would be forced to bear the cost of the various services Disney previously paid through Reedy Creek. So in other words, that the people would then suffer if DeSantis, and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so DeSantis and them, they, they're back and they're rethinking this thing. They're looking, they're looking at this thing and saying, no, we, we, must, have, we must have stepped ahead of the game because if we do this, we're going uh, gonna to upset the people in these counties who are benefiting from Disney's presence. No, I think you're confusing a bunch of things here. First of all, uh, the, the, again, the tax rates are separate. It's a, it's, it's a completely different argument. And you can't say that uh, municipal bonds that were taken out by Disney would have to be paid by other people. That's not how bonds work. So your argument, it, it doesn't make any sense. You know, you're, you're projecting on this. They may pay the cost, but I don't think they're going to pay the cost at all. You can't connect that. If some, if some entity, if a corporation, you know, gets, uh, takes out a bunch of bonds, they can't put it on other people. You can't, you can't distribute, but you can't just say, I'm not going to pay anymore. They're going to pay it. You can't do that. But the big problem is, and I'm not sure why we're talking about this, because we've got a lot bigger issues to do, uh, like national debt and things like that. But the big problem is that, uh, that, that no corporation should have special privileges. No corporation should be so powerful that they can do anything they want within their district. They can have their own utilities. They can do their own infrastructure. That's ridiculous. Did you say they, free market? Did you say a free market? That's what free market means? No, it's not people. a free market. No, no, no. A free no, market means no. a free well, well, who's supposed to? Well, who's supposed to prevent these corporations 
from having special spend, the government. So now you have government control on businesses. You see how you all no, contradict no, 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 yourself no, you've and don't got know what you're saying? No, you've, got business contr- you've got business in a special district. It's a special privilege. You know, it's, and it's a district that should – that's the exact opposite of a free market. Warren, if you've got a no. company that can dictate all that and have all that power and get their own bonds and, and regulate their own utilities and do their own stuff and things like that. See, I'd be curious if that actually is a benefit to the community. I'd be really curious because those people are burdened with excess traffic. They've got all kinds of other problems. They've got infrastructure issues. The influx of people to Disney World every year, that's got to create a burden on the community. It's got to create a burden on law enforcement. It's going to create all kinds of burdens on, on, the, infra- on the water, on the power, on everything else. I'll bet you, I'll bet you that Disney World costs them more money than they benefit, those folks in the community. When now, you Disney benefits because they got a special district. Market, when you that? say free, that's what the corporations mean when they say well, I don't free market. They, they want to be they, free. Uh, no. They want to be free foreign, from foreign. Warren, you can't have a special district and have a free market. You're confusing the two. So let's go on a bigger subject. Actually, I've got a caller right now, and I'm, I'm seeing if I recognize their number, whether they're on my, my block list or whether they're on uh, – uh, let's see if they checked in at, uh, on live chat. So hang on a sec. We might get somebody else here. Uh, nope, nobody checked on live chat. So uh, my new caller, if you want to check on live chat, tell us who you are. That's a good thing. Let me see if I have them here. I may take a chance and take the call. Oh, let me just do another quick look up here. But you, you bring a bunch of sideline things. You're trying to prove a point that, that uh, doesn't make any sense, you know, because you're confusing okay. between special. You're trying to condemn all conservatives for something that conservatives aren't doing. OK, that's the problem. You're, 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 mis- you're stating a bunch of facts that are independent and separate and trying to link them together and say that conservatives do this. First of all, I'm not conservative. I'm a constitutional independent. I'm way to the right of most conservatives. Most conservatives. You know, like the Republicans are geldings. It's the gelding old party. They don't care about this country. They don't support us or anything else. All right. So why don't you make a quick comment? I'm gonna, let me write this caller's number down, and we'll see if we want to take him here. Go ahead, Warren. Uh, oh, you, you don't want to take the caller in at the moment. Well, I do. Uh, what, just what I would, I, I, until I get a call screener, I have to look stuff up and just make sure that I'm uh, okay. Basically, put someone on that already banned. <laughs> Basically what, I, basically, what I've been trying to argue is that at least three points, if anybody couldn't keep up with me. I was trying to argue, number one, uh-huh. that the wealthy class, that's, this is the class, they own the corporations, and they're interlocked. They sit on each, they have members from their board of directors who sits on other people's board of directors. All uh-huh. of your major corporations, this is called a class. This is what we call the elite class. This, these are the real capitalists, okay? Now, they use their wealth and power to control government. In other words, government works for them. That's what we mean by government is bought mm-hmm. and paid for. Well, we, so we need a separation of, of corporate and government. I mean, that's, that's see, again, you've, you do, but, you've just defined fascism. As, as corporate and government merging. Let me take my call here a second. I'm kind of curious who this person is. So new caller, uh, be good, and you'll get to stick around. Otherwise, I'll put you on the bad list. <laughs> Go ahead. New caller. Uh, yes. Yes, my name who's, is Matthew who's... E. O'Neill. O-R-C-E-N-E-I-L. Oh, okay. Matthew O'Neill. And I'm an author at Amazon.com. I'm from Plymouth, Massachusetts, and I also lived in Las Vegas, Nevada, and Colorado Springs, Colorado. I published a book this year in 2000. 22 on Amazon. Uh-huh. Again, again, my name is Matthew E. O'Neill. Yeah, the reason for the call is you made a great point about corporations. You know, for example, I was published by Amazon.com this year. Are you here to plug and your book or are you going to address the issue? 
Don't plug your book. You well, come my on my show. Was, a lot of the smaller a lot of the smaller bookstores uh-huh. are out of business now. Amazon oh. took you know control. Ah, of now we're talking. Okay, this is good. I'm sorry. Yeah, tell me about it. Okay, companies like like Borders bookstore is out of business, but I did a lot of research on on previous bookstores. Amazon.com uh-huh. is now is like the biggest bookstore, and a lot of our smaller bookstores are out of business all throughout the country. Well, here's a question for you. And uh, another point, why, could they? Hold on a sec. Could they have mail ordered? In other words, Amazon got big because they're, they're mail order. You don't have to go shopping. You can look everything up online. And I understand that. I mean, I, I have my own book, <coughs> Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Is, uh, Warren Coffey, my book, <laughs> The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction, is on Amazon. Uh, it's not in a lot of bookstores. So in that respect, it's good to have. But Borders and uh, some of the other bookstores, Barnes & Noble, weren't they doing mail order the same way uh, Amazon was? Or, or were they just not competing? Or, or why do you think they went out of business? And those were big companies, too. I think of a little bookstore as your local, you know, your local, uh, you know, city bookstore. But what happened with those other ones? Well, I think you know, also, like you made a good point because of technology. A lot of the stuff is found on the internet. For example, okay. Amazon has Amazon Kindle, and I'm published in, on in 13 different countries. My name is Matthew mm-hmm. O'Neill, and I think like yeah, you keep mentioning your name. This is why I say you're Borders Bookstore. Borders Bookstore. They got okay. rid of Borders Bookstore. That's the best example. Mm-hmm. Amazon Kindle. Kindle Kindle was invented back in 2007. Mm-hmm. And I think How's this apply to the economy, though? Matt, 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 Matt. Let's get back to the economy. Yeah, Amazon Matt, has the Kindle. Matt, I'm going to yeah. mute you. Let's get back to the economy. That's what we're talking about now. So uh, where we originally started was, my start of my discussion was Congress, you know, borrowing enough money to bankrupt our economy. So in the overall economy effect, uh, you can talk about Amazon in that context, but where do you think we're going? You know, with a $1.7 trillion uh, spending bill that's coming out. That's kind of where we started our conversation. I think that's a really good point that you just made. I think one point I'd like to bring up is inflation. I, I, okay. I don't know if you've done a lot of shopping recently. The value of the dollar does not hold as much weight. And I think that's our biggest problem, the cost of food and the inflation. So, so how think- do you reduce inflation? How do you, what, what causes inflation? And I'll get the same question for Warren because it's a good question. What well, causes inflation? Sure what's causing this. I don't think it's the, the war in the, the Russia versus Ukraine war, global no, that's instability. Not that's probably not it, but you know, it's other factors. Uh, for the global coronavirus pandemic. Well, those are the results. Those are results fear. of inflation, but it's not the cause. So tell me about coronavirus. I well, think I up, interrupted you. We can add okay. up a lot of different reasons. You know, we mm-hmm. don't population growth. We don't really know for sure what's causing this. There's four or five mitigating factors. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not an expert in that particular field, so I don't want to you know say the say the wrong thing. Okay, well I mean I don't care if you speculate. Let me go to Warren because this would be an interesting point. Warren, what, what do you think is the cause of inflation? Well, my understanding was was one cause was the infusion of a lot of cash, uh, the, the 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 creation of money and throwing the money out during during COVID. Okay, that that. Causes that's one cause of inflation when you have a lot of infusion of cash, printing money, and the United States prints his own money uh, mm-hmm. with no limit. Well, do you remember when I sent you the the bill on a constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money? Did you ever get a chance to look at that? Yeah. What do you think? That no, it was two other bills we were talking about last time. It was the, the about businesses. Uh, well, product liability. And vaccine product yeah. liability and big tech censorship. Those are two other bills. Yeah, yeah, that was the ones I remember, yeah. 
Okay. Do you have an opinion on those? Because that, that would affect the economy. Vaccine product liability would take away uh, the special ex- – you want to talk about, talk about corporate welfare, <laughs> you know, the special exemption uh, that, uh, vaccine liabil- that vaccine manufacturers have. They're not liable for all the people that they've injured and killed with their COVID shot. I don't, I, don't, I don't have a problem with those bills, but what I was well, – the last time we talked about this, what mm-hmm. I was trying to get you, you to see is that that bill goes against you, your philosophical belief about the role of government. Wait, wait, which and bill? so corporations, bill? corporations, corporations wouldn't like that bill because they they wouldn't see that as a free market. They would they don't like to be held responsible. For wait, 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 which which bill are you talking about? Are you talking about vaccine bill or the or the constitutional amendment? There was no one. One was the vaccine, and one was about the seatbelt or something like that. About no, it wasn't seatbelt. Uh, there was two bills you 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 shared with me that you had you written that you like to be see see uh, ever taken up by a legislator. And one was about vaccine liability, but there was another one. Yeah, big tax. Oh, maybe that was Pianchi. Maybe Pianchi just gave with that as an example of something. Maybe one was a Pianchi's example. But okay, and that's uh, it. We'll get back to you in a minute. Cause I'll ask you some questions too. But how is that? See, here's the thing, though. First of all, I don't write bills that go against my opinion. That would be stupid. Uh, secondly, um, the vaccine product liability bill is a free market bill because it puts vaccine manufacturers on the equal footing with your local donut shop, you know, that everybody should have the same product liability. That's consistency. That's constitutional. That actually is the 14th Amendment. The Equal Protection Clause mandates that everybody have this, the, the laws apply to everybody equally. OK. And so the fact that vaccine manufacturers have a special exemption is government corporate fascism. It's uh, th- that's the very thing that I'm against. So how is this bill against what I believe? I don't, I don't because, understand that. Because one of the things you guys do is you accuse the left of government control. If, if a person on the left authored the same bill you're telling me about, you all would be against that bill because you said government Government has no right to put any kind of restrictions on a corporate entity. Warren, now, I have a dream. I, Warren, I, I have this, this really big plan that, that hopefully this idea that one day you'll treat me as an individual and not you guys. <laughs> you know, I do, not, I do not hold with what most conservatives hold, okay? I am not for, for all the foreign wars that conservatives like. I'm not a neocon. I'm not part of the permanent war class. I don't believe in corporate welfare. I don't believe in individual welfare, okay? So when you say you guys, you know, you, you can't lump me into you guys. I'm a very independent thinker. I'm a constitutional independent. It's my own category. I created it. So you can't, you can't argue about what you guys, meaning me, do and lump me in with a bunch of people that I can't stand. That's just, that's just not uh, – uh, it's a non sequitur. There's no connection. You're, you're, you're making an argument for somebody else, not me. So deal with what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that I like to hear what the, what the, caller, the, the new caller has to say. I like to hear what the new caller has to say. You keep interrupting, okay, Greg. I don't know that. why you do that. Because I'm, well, I'm the host and I can. Uh, Matthew, uh, vaccine product liability, how, how about that? Do you think that would, if we could put the, the manufacturers responsible for their own vaccines, what, what effect do you think that would have uh, on the economy and on our safety? I, I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but some have stated What's the wrong that thing? You can't say the wrong the thing. It's even going to work. If the, you know, yeah. the vaccine, many normally normal people, you know, have been fully vaccinated and still died. So there's not proof that being fully vaccinated will save your life because there's been many cases of people that have been fully vaccinated 
that still died from coronavirus. So mm-hmm. even, even though this coronavirus has been around for almost three years, we still don't have all of the answers to this problem. Well, actually, the original virus is dead. The, the, all the vaccines now are for, for a virus that died out over a year and a half ago, which is kind of interesting. Um, but do you think that corporations should be held liable for their products? That's a basic, just a basic think, economics question. I think they should be. I think that because under the current lens, as you said before, we don't know under the, the current strain of coronavirus, you mm-hmm. said it best, the vaccine is for the older strain. Yeah, so, it's, it's, it's obsolete. So it's been obsolete for next week. Yeah. Go ahead. Plus, that's not going to save your life getting vaccinated. They proved that. Many mm-hmm. perfectly healthy people have been vaccinated and still died from coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks so like me also, who will never take a jab are doing just fine. And another thing mm-hmm. about the coronavirus is, too, is all just fluctuating numbers. World, Worldometer on the Internet has over 1.1 million people dead, dead in the United States. Now, some of the other, other coronavirus virus trackers have lower numbers. We're not really well, sure. You've got to understand that those numbers are, are mostly false because here's the biggest problem. First of all, you've got Dr. Fascist, and that's what I call Fauci. You know, you've got the whole health bureaucracy. You've got the entire government with the mandates, and everything they did was to preserve COVID until the vaccines came out, which are not even vaccines. They're messenger RNA gene shots. So you've got this illegal gene therapy brought about by an illegal emergency use authorization to, to block the cures for, for COVID, you know, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, vitamin D3, vitamin C, you know, azithromycin for pneumonia. I mean, we all know how to treat this thing, okay? So they blocked the treatments. They illegally made the cures illegal so they could put forward their, their dangerous uh, vaccine. So you want to talk about corporate welfare? You want to talk about corporate government control? You want to talk about emerging of fascism in the worst possible way? Everything that the government did and the corporations did under COVID was, was horrible. It was unconstitutional. It's illegal. It's certainly anti-free market at the very least. And it's destroyed uh, our economy. And they're about to do it again with this $1.7 trillion you know, boom, which is going to accelerate inflation for everybody. The costs are going to go up. Productivity, you know, people aren't going to be able to work. Corporations aren't going to pay people. Everything's going to be too expensive. We're headed for a terrible economic time. And it all comes back to government borrowing money, spending money they don't have. That's the problem. And if we had a free market, they wouldn't be able to do that. Warren, that's what I believe. Yeah, but Greg, I don't think you. I don't. I, in my opinion, I don't think you, you may have your viewpoint of what you mean by a free market, but I don't think you understand what that term means when it's used when it's used by the corporate elite. Free market. No, 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 Warren, Warren, Warren. We all have this. Our first of all, words don't change definition. People may think of things differently, or they may use an excuse, or they may misuse a word. But the definition of a free market is always the same. A free market is one that operates without government interference. So anytime you have government interference, you're taking away from the free market. That, that is the accepted yeah, definition never, of a free market. That was never the original. That was never the original meaning of the term free yes, market. It was. It was never. Of course it was. No, it was. Yes, it was. So it's what? You're wrong. Warren, you're wrong. What, what, what was the last classical economic text you read? What's what that? was the last classical economic text you read? Have you read Adam Smith, Smith the Wealth of Nations? No, have you? Yes, I have. Yeah, that okay. was. That word, and and free what's Adam market, Smith's definition of all right? So so just so enlighten me. What's Adam Smith's definition of a free market? It was a, it was a reaction against what is called the rentier class, which when we get the word rent from the word rentier, that was the elite landholding class in Europe. The elite landholding class in Europe had people in feudal like positions. Okay. <laughs> And so it was a response against that class, not against the government. 
Okay, but that's what so a, free, a free market does. Street, a free market is free. At, free. All right, so let me put it this way. A free market is one that's free from interference, right? Whether it's government or corporate. <laughs> well, what are you laughing it, at? It, because, let, let me, can I read something to you? Very fast, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, we got to go soon. Okay. Like, we're actually over time okay, right now, a book so called, yeah, just a, okay. very quick. Okay, free market. To the classical economist, an economy free of land rent, usurious banking practices, and monopolies in private hands. But as finance capitalism has superseded industrial capitalism, it has inverted free market rhetoric to mean a market free for rent extractors to obtain land rent, natural resource rent, and monopoly rent and financial gains free of government taxation or regulation. This inverted redefinition depicts a free market as one free for the financial and property classes to subject the economy to a network of extractive toll boot fees, such as free market has become a double think term for the path to neo-feudalism. So the way you're using that term is an opinion piece. Where do you read? That's from an economist. That's from an economist. That's from a. Well, that doesn't mean anything. uh, uh, Do you think economists have a monopoly on truth? No. Which economist? Uh, Yeah, but he's telling you the history. He's telling you the history of the context of that word. Warren. Warren. His name is Michael Hudson. Michael Hudson. And where does Michael Hudson work? Where is he from? Is he academic? You can Google Michael Hudson. He's a well-known economist, man. Okay, is he a liberal economist? Because this is, or is he a Marxian economist? What kind of economist is he? He is. He has experience working in Wall Street. He knows this. Well, lots of Marxists have experience on Wall Street. He knows the games. He knows the games and the tricks. He knows how people are deceived with this misuse of classical economic terms. Okay, I've never heard this guy. So let's let me look him up here. What's his name? Michael Hudson. Then we're gonna go. This will be Michael awesome. we'll Hudson. Michael, excellent. You'll Spell learn a whole M-I-C-H-A-E-L. lot. I C H A E L. What's his last name? H U D H U D S O N. Michael Hudson. Economist. Let's see what it says. Economist. Do I need a producer? I'm working on that too. Michael Hudson, economist. Uh, economist professor at Economics University of Missouri, Kansas. Researcher at Levy. Economics Institute at Bard College, former Wall Street analyst, political consultant, commentator, and journalist. Contributor to the Hudson Report. Okay, let me see. Uh, I'm trying to find his political <laughs> persuasion here. Let's see if he's a liberal economist, a conservative economist, a Marxian economist, a free market economist, or some other type of economist. Let's find out about, let's see what it says about him. You hang around me, Greg, you're going to learn a whole lot, young man. Oh, young life. man, young man. He, he called me young man, folks. I want you to. How old are you? I'm older than you, Greg. But go ahead, finish looking nah, up on Michael Hudson. No, maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. We'll we'll see. Uh, I'm trying to find something. Uh, get this guy's political persuasion. To government's Oh, he advises. He advises China. No wonder you like him. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. conference so, yeah. Radio interviews to hear his his hyperspeed analysis of the geopolitical machinations of global economics. Sounds like an idiot. <laughs> it sounds like he probably talks about nothing at all. All right. But uh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'm willing to bet. I, I, I bet if I read some of his stuff, I'm going to find some extremely leftist uh, definitions. Because what you gave is a completely leftist definition of a free market. Let me just but, look but at free great. But see, just for, just, see, just great. for the fun the of it. Definition but see what you're doing, Greg. See what you're... Head. 
What I'm doing is defeating your arguments. You don't like it. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. No, you're not listening to you're not listening to coherent. You're interfering. You're interrupting. You don't want to hear people complete their thoughts. It's, it's you're hiding, Greg. You're hiding behind shallow talking points and rhetoric. What you're doing? You're running, Greg. Well, you're running away insulting. from truth. Now you're just getting insulting. Why don't you be nice to me? I mean, I got you on my show. But, I mean, when I mean, people call in, you, you, you don't let them finish talking and finish their thought and their points. I mean, that's insulting. You're the host. So well, I can't let you ramble on forever. I can't let you keep rambling on forever on stuff that doesn't make sense. Like the guy that called in. I was, I was trying to hear what the guy had to say. You won't let him finish his thoughts. Well, that's because I, I might have been wrong, but it sounded like he was just here to plug his book. That no, was my I mean, problem. Even if he was plugging his book, what's wrong, but what's wrong with that, dude? Well, make sure he plugs my show. Let me get your definition for free market. We've got one here. Uh, this is from Wordnik, an economic market in which supply and demand are not regulated or are regulated with only minor restrictions. Okay, that's not true. The first part is true. An economic market that's not regulated, that's a free market. Definition two, any market which trade is unregulated, an economic system free from government intervention. Those are the definitions of a free market. Not what you but read. But see, that's, that's what Michael Hudson is showing you, how that term was inverted. That's not the original use of that term by, by classical economists. They didn't use that term to, to refer to government, free from government control. They meant it to refer freedom from the control of that private landholding class. Well, you, you're using a definition that was appropriate to feudalism, which was hundreds of years ago. Things yeah, but, but when, you look at, when you look at the in, the Enlightenment and intellectual discourse in Europe, they were rebelling against that class of private owners. That's, they were rebelling against the monarchy. They were rebelling well, against too. the elite class. No, I would have rebelled okay, well, against them too. So when you look at Adam Smith, so when you read the classical economists, that's the uh -huh. historical context in which they developed these economic theories. They were going to get, what we, what we have now in America is we have a finance financial capitalist class that runs everything. So the Wall yeah, yeah, Street your people yourself. and Michael, <laughs> Warren, you're and your Michael Hudson, we're, we're Michael go. Hudson. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm finished. I'm finished. I can't get a word in the edge wise. Well, but you're making the same point like six times. You know, so that's, that's when I sort of jump in. You know, I mean, you talk about Michael Hudson, you talk about the same thing. But let's um, – Let's, let's, uh, let me see, where, where can we, where can we uh, end on a, on, a, on a good note here? $1.7 trillion uh, spending bill before Christmas. Make sense to you or no? No. I mean, it, more, a, a good bulk of it is going for defense. I agree with you. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to a bunch of stuff it doesn't have to go to. Uh, until we get our spending below revenue. Uh, we're going to have inflation. We're going to have massive problems. Okay. Um, I mean, I'll try and watch jumping in, but we both kind of step on each other all the time. So I think it's kind of equal. I'll, I'll listen to the recording and see if I'm, uh, you know, constant interrupting, but I have a feeling that you and I, and that's okay. I don't mind us both jumping on each other's, you know, statements. That's what makes it, you know, fun and spicy. But I appreciate you calling. It's been fun. And uh, let's see how this, okay. uh, how this bill turns out. Thanks for joining me today. What are you talking about tomorrow? What are you going on I don't tomorrow? know yet. I have no idea. Tomorrow's tomorrow. Well, why don't, you, why don't you check out Michael Hudson and look at his videos on YouTube, read his stuff, and we can talk about Michael Hudson tomorrow. Uh, no, we can't go. 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't do economics too many days in a row. It gets boring. I'll think of something completely different. Okay, tomorrow. all right. But okay. we'll see. But you can check right. it and see. I mean, I, like I said, the show's so spontaneous. I usually only figure it out the evening before, so I got to see what uh, what news comes out today, and then I'll figure it out. But I do appreciate you joining me. Take okay. care, Warren. All right. All right. Okay, well, why don't you plug your show? Go ahead and plug your show. Well, my show is called New Audience Wake Up. Uh, I, uh, in fact, I did a good show uh, yesterday with a, uh, a guy who, I guess you call him a black conservative. And so we had an interesting dialogue uh, about, yeah, his show is called, uh, his show is called Black by Color Only. So we had a nice, interesting dialogue back and forth. But people can go look at my archives of my shows, New Orleans, Wake Up. I have Louis Armstrong as a as an image, a, iconic image for my show, Louis Armstrong. Okay. So I have I have the thinker. Okay, great. That, that's that's the image for my show. Thanks, Warren. We'll talk okay. to you soon. I'm sure. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Take care. There we go. Right. Yeah. Um, it, I, actually, I, I really wish more folks would call that uh, that disagree. I mean, I think the tendency of all of us is to kind of jump on each other a little bit, just because. Um, because when you hear it, it, if, if too many points uh, get made without you saying something, you kind of lose. And, and some, it's, it's a, actually an argumenting technique that a preponderance of, of statements made somehow you know, congeal into an effective argument when the statements may have nothing to do with each other. So that's why I jump in. I really like to take the statements individually uh, and see if they have merit, because if they don't have merit individually, then the whole argument's not going to have merit either. But I don't want to talk about uh, this you know, after one's uh, left us right now. I get, we need to go. So do it again tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central Time. We've got uh, Brianna Cannon with Government Inquiry leads us off. And then we've got uh, Josie Cossi with the uh, Latino Report. Uh, and the third hour, I'm not sure if I have a guest. I'll have to check. I think I, I may have. In fact, I think I actually am pretty sure I do have someone for tomorrow. Uh, so that'll be a surprise, and we shall do that. But until then, take care. Check out our website, writeyourlaws.com. Uh, our site here is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. And, of course, uh, if you want to contribute to us, givesendgo.com slash actionradio or PayPal. Uh, dot com slash paypal me slash action radio all roads lead to action radio this is greg penglis so what is action radio it is a radio show with its own citizen legislature that's you the listener it is a fully interactive system of listeners expert guests social media writing bills legislator input bill submission lobbying and citizen action Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.